Hi, welcome to the Book of Medora podcast, the podcast where we discuss the lore of every video game in the Legend of Zelda series. This is part five, hopefully of five, of our episode of The Wind Waker. I'm Crystal, and with me today is Monica. Hello. And Cameron. I think you may have cursed number five here, Crystal. Why is that? Just in saying that you hope this is part five of five. I just have a bad feeling That's now. our plan, isn't it? It is super the plan. I think we can do it. Yeah, we we will finish the Baton of Winds. We will not leave this room, this virtual room we are in, until it's done. Yeah, okay. Yeah, we're virtual hostages to the uh, Baton of Winds Part 5. Yeah, and then, and then well, and then, then we'll do something else, maybe. But now okay. we're going to finish the Wind Waker. Yeah, it's Wind Waker time. It's Wind Waker time. Where did we leave off, Cameron? The last place that we left off, I believe was after finishing the powering up of the Master Sword, and that was after defeating Mulgara, and I think that was the end of it. That's about it, right? Yeah. That sounds right, which means we still need to finish recovering all the Triforce pieces. Oh, boy. Now, what was the reason given to you to recover the Triforce? The thing that the King of Red Lions tells you is that the Triforce of Courage is the key that will unlock the way back to Hyrule. For some reason, even though you've had two trips down already. Yeah, it's like bad magic is blocking the way now or something. He's not really actually super clear on why you need the Triforce of Courage, except that you need it before you go back. Yeah, there's, there's a big barrier blocking the way to the rest of Hyrule. Right. It, and oh, that's right. Is it the combination of the fully powered master sword and the Triforce of Courage that allows you to get past Ganon's barrier? I guess so. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's what that was. Okay. So there's your reasoning. You got to get past this barrier of bad magic which Ganon has erected down here specifically to block your path until you have the strength of the hero. Now, because uh, he needs you to have the Triforce of Courage. Yes. He absolutely does. Which version of the Triforce quest are we going to be talking about here? The bad one or the good one? All of them. All of them? So we're going with the original version. Just briefly. Okay. So, um, Monica, I think you're actually much more familiar with the Triforce quest than I am. Would you mind going over just really briefly what each of the individual pieces are? Because I remember that some of them are found just in the ocean, and this number was ratcheted up considerably in uh, the HD version of the game. I made some scribble notes. Let's see if I can read them. Oh, no. One, you have to fish for near Great Fish Isle. Uh, two is in the private oasis maze. Oh, do we want to talk about the private oasis at all? Sure. I mean, we can talk about that later. Oh, okay, sure. <laughs> um, three, you fish near the Stone Watcher Island. Four is in the ghost ship. Uh-huh. The fifth one I just wrote fish. <laughs> fish. I don't know. Oh. I didn't find this particularly like catching. Um six is midway through the Savage Labyrinth. Seven something about the Stone Watcher again. I don't think this is strictly accurate. And eight I can't read my scribble. Oh no. See, this is why I say your handwriting needs to be more focused. You gotta pretend that somebody else is going to read them. Well, I just, I don't find it particularly interesting where you find the Triforce pieces. But for some of them, it's very interesting. Okay. Because... We could pull up a list. Even at the time, um, even back in the original version of it, there's a few pieces that you find just by fishing. 
And I think, did they bring that number up or down in the HD version? I think they reduced the number of charts that you had to get through overall. And what I found interesting was that the original version of Wind Waker... The Japanese version. I'm getting to that. Oh, okay. I I was just asking. The original English release was already um, edited from the Japanese version in that one of the Triforce shards had a five-chest chart um, chart loop that you had to go through in, in order to get, you know, that one shard. So one chest would lead to a chart, which would lead to another chart, would lead to another chart five times over until you got that Triforce shard. So... That seems... Uh mean of the very game. mean that's uh did each of those have to be taken to tingle and you i'm know, not sure you know what I, i'm not sure that it really matters i guess if we're going to talk about the triforce quest we have to talk about tingle a little bit because tingle uh does an interesting bit in this game one in that it's the weirdest and most horrifying version of tingle by far and two he also acts as the money sink of the game which isn't something that all of the games have, but Wind Waker does, because you don't get a lot of opportunity to spend rupees, but you get this enormous wallet, and you end up collecting a lot of rupees over the course of the game. So one of the primary conceits of Tingle as a character is that he's a cartographer. He's an expert cartographer in all of his incarnations that are true to his original design. And in Wind Waker, he uses this cartographic skill to take the Triforce charts and decipher them for you. But if he's going to use his high-grade cartography skills on your behalf, he's going to get fucking paid. And I think it costs something like, what, 400 rupees per go? I think it was more than that. Let's check. Was it four? Is it it's something like 398 or 598? Three hundred ninety-eight rupees each. Yeah, I remembered pretty good. Uh, at the time, you would need a separate Triforce chart for all eight pieces, and getting each of those together would end up costing you three thousand one hundred eighty-four rupees. Thank you, Zelda.Gamepedia.com. And you couldn't even carry that much in the original version, could you? I believe that you could carry up to 5000 with the largest wallet. Let's check. It costs a lot of money. It costs a lot of money. It costs a ton of money. And I don't think that you end up needing to get more than the entire capacity of the wallet. I could be wrong about that. But it doesn't really super matter regardless. Because that's just so much money. And he acts as a money sink. And also Tingle's Island is weird in this one because it's actually... Like, it's a mill, sort of, but instead of being, like, a windmill or a water mill or various other kind of mills that you can have, it's a mill that's run by slave labor. Yeah. Should we talk about the Tingle Brothers? Sure. Crystal, why don't you tell us about the Tingle Brothers? Okay, so Tingle has three brothers. There's, uh, There's Ankle. His favorite proverb is... One may as well hang for a stolen sheep as for a stolen lamb. Since being taught how to decipher maps by his older brother Tingle, Angle has been supporting his good-for-nothing twin brother Knuckle. 
The only time he feels he can truly be himself is when he's tending the Tingle Island Flower Garden. Then there's Knuckle, whose, uh, whose occupation is a carver. Knuckle is another of Tingle's younger brothers. He happens to be Ankle's twin. He finished carving Tingle Tower when he was 10 years old. Jesus. The head is his studio. Supposedly, he felt unsatisfied completing his collection without this figure. He loves a special vertically aligned Tingle tuner. And then there's David Jr. His occupation is treasure hunter. 17-year-old David Jr. set out at sea with dreams of finding the treasure of the ghost ship that his now deceased father once saw. He gets seasick quite easily and was in just such a state when he awoke in the days on Tingle Island. Ankle told him that self comes before wealth, and he's been working in the tower ever since. He really hates the uniform. Jesus. So he's he's not a relation. No, he just happens to look like him. Well, with that outfit, yeah. everybody kind of looks <laughs> similar. You you can kind of so, get... So Knuckle and Ankle are twins, and Tingle is the older brother, and David Jr. is just some guy who washed up on the island. Some 17-year-old guy, yes. Yeah. Literally less than half Tingle's age. That's interesting. Hmm. And, uh, okay, so you can almost read this as uh, Ankle and Knuckle not necessarily being slave labor, but David Jr. is getting a raw fucking deal here. I guess it's Knuckle who carves, I can't remember the exact plot, but with the Tingle tuner, uh-huh. you can sort of find these Tingle statues in the, the dungeons, uh-huh. and it results in these the statue appearing on Tingle Island. Oh. I, th- I think it's related to Knuckle. I've literally never had the opportunity to use the Tingle tuner. With the GBA cable. Yeah, I didn't. Hmm. That wasn't a thing that we had when I was, you know, younger. It, it wasn't that compelling. No, it didn't seem like it. But, uh, yeah. Is this, is this the weirdest version of Tingle? I think it's the weirdest version of Tingle for a lot of reasons. Though it is the first time we actually see sure. a, a member of his family outside of his father in Majora's Mask. Yeah. That's not that unusual. You mostly don't see people in their families. Really, it's unusual that we see so many of, you know, a family. In this game? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's a very family-oriented game. It's just a family that's doing hard labor. And with this guy named Dave. Yes, Junior. But this Dave is definitely Jun- the first tingle that's like... Uh a uh, suspicious character? Or is in Majora's Mask, he was just kind of an eccentric but harmless guy? Yeah, he's crossed over into being sort of sinister here, I think. Criminal. Yeah, he's a criminal. Criminal in a lot of ways. And he's got criminal friends who run businesses. Okay, so most of... We talked a little bit before about the idea that it's the Ocarina of Time Zelda who scattered the Triforce pieces throughout. Yep. Now, that also creates some interesting possibilities with regards to how some of the Triforce pieces are protected, in particular with the Ghost Ship and the Savage Labyrinth. It implies that Zelda created these particular things or else utilized them in some way specifically so that they would be protected by trials that are meant to test but not necessarily defeat the hero. Yes. Also, most of them require... Link to conduct the um, the windy song. Oh, does it? Yeah. Oh, I see. Because the only way to... The Savage Labyrinth is underneath an enormous head statue on Outset Island, right? Mm-hmm. So you have to sail over there by controlling the wind and jumping from the highest point and then pick up the head and throw it and go down and fight all these monsters. Yeah, not just that, though, but 
when you get to the appropriate level, there is a crest. I think it's the Triforce, and you conduct the 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 wind gale song uh-huh. before the chest will appear. Oh, so it's very Zelda's lullaby. Yes. It's interesting because you did that constantly in Ocarina of Time, but it's a relatively rare mechanic in Wind Waker. And it's almost like you're only dealing with it in cases where Ocarina of Time Zelda had a specific hand in what's going on. Yeah. But I think that's kind of cool that we're basically through the machinations of the past interacting with a character from Ocarina of Time. Not directly, but, you know, her work is here. That is cool. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Now, what do you think drew the uh, Triforce charts? Uh, I guess it would have to be Zelda, because nobody else would be trusted with the knowledge about where the Triforce is hidden. Yes. But then, did she have a vision of the future where there would be islands in this particular arrangement? Triforce of Wisdom. Yes. Okay. And then... Maybe one of the reasons that Tingle has to interpret them for you is that the Triforce charts don't actually include the ocean. Hmm. Oh, yeah, maybe. That makes sense. Like, it's it's dealing with the version of the Great Sea that doesn't have water in it. Now, Monica, I know what that says. Yeah, no, I, yeah, it's true. I, I figured that it was an ancient Hylian, but it's true that it could be that it was drawn with a non-flooded Hyrule in mind. Because the conceit of the game in its text is that Tingle will take the chart from you, take your cash, and then go, Tingle, Tingle, Kululimpa, become readable, and then you can read the chart. But at the same time, there aren't any words on these charts, and you don't find anything in them by using the words. You only do it using the uh, layout of the islands themselves. So it makes sense to me that Tingle, as a cartographer, is able to adjust the chart so that it matches the current understanding of Hyrule cartography. So he's absolutely an incredible cartographer. Yes. Hmm. Like, he knows how elevation should be changed and things like that. He's literally the only person in the setting who could do this. Even the fishmen wouldn't be able to because they're just fish. What about the man part? Nope. Just fish. What's up with the ghost ship? Yeah, what is up with the ghost ship? Um, it gives you a good opportunity to read the moon and its phases. Okay, so like literally what's up with the ghost ship is that the ghost ship will appear at certain islands during certain phases of the moon. And theoretically, you happen upon it either by chance, by noting when when it appears where, or by finding the ghost ship chart, which may or may not be new to the HD version of Wind Waker. I can't it's really remember. Not, you need it to actually engage with the ghost ship oh that's right the ghost ship will just disappear unless you have the ghost ship chart but you can also find out when it appears where by asking the fishmen about it yeah it's really scary running in- into it and not knowing what it was because it just really the music changed oh the music did change didn't it yeah yeah i forgot that this was during the period where like sudden changes in the environment and stuff were just like terror fuel for little monica pretty much yeah but the idea behind yeah, it dead's in there there's re-deads and there's uh, floor masters and a puzzle where you jump into pots and get warped to different parts of the ghost ship that I never did quite figure out and just had to get through it by trial and error. 
And you had to like light, was it this one? We had to light torches that yeah. were kind of hidden. Yeah, you had to light like five torches with arrows shot through the braziers into other parts. And But what is the ghost ship? Like, why is it floating around and ghosting things? And if Zelda set this up, did she know that she would need a ghost ship? The ghost ship is the remains of the Shadow Temple converted into a ship to sail the seas endlessly and so, protect a shard of the Triforce of Courage. So it's a Sheikah ship. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Uh, oh, okay, hold on. There's actually a line with regards to the ghost ship here that's a little bit worth reading, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not going to read out the entirety of it, but it's from... what? what is, what's the name of the guy who owns the pictograph shop? Lenzo. Lenzo. Uh, this is a conversation that you have with Lenzo when looking at the pictograph that he has of the ghost ship and a little bit later in the conversation he says the rumors i've heard tell of a man who researched the reaches of the sea where the ghost ship faded in and out of sight and that he drew a map of its movements but it is said that as soon as the man had finished drawing the lines of that cursed map he died a most unexpected death chilling truly chilling Ooh. yeah i don't know if i buy that yeah i think that's part of the just uh oh wait a second the guy who the guy who drew the map was that dave senior yes oh my god oh so dave jr is also descended from a cartographer that is interesting hmm. huh that's weird that looks okay like why he looks like tingle oh my god what if dave senior was like tingle's uncle or something or yeah, that makes sense oh Okay, yeah, yeah. It's like, are you suggesting that Dave Jr. is Tingle's brother literally by another mother? <laughs> Maybe by the yeah, same mother. Then... Maybe they were... Um... Separated? So then who so are it the is fishmen? family. What were you saying, Crystal? Who are the fishmen? The fishmen? They're just fishmen. What do you mean? But they're also cartographers. Yeah, but they're like small-scale cartographers. Oh, are you saying that cartography is a bloodline skill? Yeah. Oh, well, maybe... Because they, they also owe some sort of debt to the King of Red Lions. So they have some connection to the royal family. Somewhat, but they've forgotten or they don't know what a Triforce is. But they do know what a Triumph Fork is. They all know that phrase, Triumph Fork. Maybe they're the Sheikah. Oh I, my god, they're the Sheikah. Oh. They are They are the Sheikah, yes. Okay, Zelda. we there. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Zelda. And they, they also know where the ghost ship is, right? Yeah. So Zelda knew she had to draw these maps for the for the hero of the future to find the pieces of the Triforce. And she passed down knowledge of cartography to the Sheikah. And then when uh, Daphne's, uh, the flood was about to happen, so he used his, his magic to turn the Sheikah into fishmen so that they would be able to aid the hero in the future. But then the leader of the cartographers became the Tingle bloodline. Okay. Yeah, sure. Why the hell not? This all sounds perfectly reasonable to old Cameron. <laughs> okay. Jesus, hell. Um, are there any other parts of the Triforce Hunt that we need to cover in particular? Because the Triforce Hunt is not really a significant portion of the game that I find. It's like people talk about the Triforce Hunt being this huge, really difficult, really time-consuming thing, but I've never been that bothered by it in comparison to other games. Yeah, it's fine, especially if you did a couple of them as you went along with the uh, the dungeons because you did have that ability at the time didn't you yes 
but are there any other of the particular oh we wanted to talk about the oasis yeah there's the butler tour yeah the butler okay crystal tell us about this island and how you get there okay so the oasis it's owned by the teacher on windfall island right Mm -hmm. and when you get there you go to the door and there's a painting of a butler on it and he refuses to let you in because only the master of the island can go into the house obviously right but he's just a a sentient painting of a butler and And he cannot move or do anything but there is reference to him like cleaning up the house and stuff (laughs) yep it's i think that he's the requisite actual weird zelda character for the game where it's like what how what because every game's got at least one and he is the strongest example for this one i think well maybe he's just like uh he's like a spirit of the home and he just possesses the door sometimes when he needs to greet visitors, but he can also possess, like, the broom and sweep up. When you go inside, he's um, there in a few more cutouts, including dressed as a maid by the, the bathtub. Oh, yes. <laughs> I forgot that bit. Yeah, and he talks to you through each of the cutouts, right? When you try to look at different things in the room, yeah. That's... Something. So yeah, I guess it is like it's the spirit of the house. Or it's just like, uh, it's a house that is the internet of things. Yes. And yeah. it's basically, uh, what, do you, what is it called? Is Which one of them is Alexa? That's Amazon's. Okay, it's like having an Amazon house. Which one is Google's? Google Home. Okay, it's like a Google, he's Google Home for Hyrule. Does Google Home not have a name? I have, I, I, I don't know. I'm sure it does. You just call it Google, I think. Oh, so Google is the spirit of your house? Yes. So when Link goes in, he's like, Google, draw me a bath. And then the maid turns around and draws him a bath. Or no, like it stands in front of the bath and then it like swings out of the way and then the bath is just there. Okay. What if uh, the door butler was carved out of the wood of the Deku butler? No. No. What? Why? Why would you even say Uh, that? What? It just comes to my head. But I mean, but, not not like not like they killed the Deku Butler, but you know, it's like it, maybe it's a thing in Deku culture that when you pass away, your body is reused as like nice bowls and stuff. I think if that was the case, the the Butler would be a lot more polite. And also, that's an awfully big door. <laughs> as it is, if you're not the the master of the island, he tells you to get your grimy hands off of him. So yes, it's uh. I like the butler door, but I actually like the teacher on Windfall even more because she's just this dotty older lady who's fabulously, fabulously wealthy in ways that are difficult for Link or anyone to comprehend because she has this private island that she just gives away when you bring her enough necklaces. Yes. Yeah. Actually, that goes on to the topic of how everybody on Windfall, every adult, is like a busybody. Oh, yeah? Yes. There's the gossipy old ladies. Then there's the teacher lady who's here to get fussy. And then there's Lenzo who wants you to spy on, you know, the town's population before he'll give you an upgraded camera. Right. Everybody's very nosy. Oh, yeah. Huh. You know, that's a small community. Ugh. Yeah, I guess so. Everybody knows where does everybody. Where all this fabulous wealth even come from? Uh, mercantilism. Okay, where's their crops? 
they trade other people's crops. Yeah, there's Oops. pumpkins. There's there's pumpkin patches. Okay. Are there? I don't know. No, there aren't. Well, there were pumpkin patches on Outset, right? Not pumpkin. It was something. They they were growing something on those little fields. Yeah, they they okay. So Outset is where the poor farm people live, and Windfall is where the rich people live. Except for the poor people on Windfall. Right. There's income disparity. There is severe income disparity on Windfall Island. Like, the teacher is trying to use her wealth to set up a school so that the local uh, less well-off ragamuffins won't cause too much trouble. Hmm. And there's a windmill, so they do grind bread. Or something. Or have an amusement park. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, that's right. They have a ride attached to the windmill, don't they? Yes. And also, it seems to act as a, a moving lighthouse. Oh, I, this island is so fucking weird. Wind Waker is a deeply weird game. I remember getting into an argument once with people on the forum where we met about how ridiculous Wind Waker is because there's no clear way for these people to feed themselves. Yes. And it's like, shut up. That's it. That's the only response you could possibly have to that. They have pigs. They have pigs. Oh. The pigs are eating something. They have all those skeletons in the jail. Well, I mean, even if... Cannibalism has to be one of the least efficient ways to get food. Mm. You gotta raise a person, and a person is really resource-intensive to raise. Much better to have pig. Or fish, if you can get fish. But I think Windfall exists in the part of the sea where it's not expected that you'll be able to get any fish. No, there's not really fishermen. There's only the one small dock. But people come back and forth, and that's where all the trade happens? Or? It's an auction house. There is an auction house. I love that auction house. It's a real fun mini game. Crystal, do you like the auction house? Yeah, I like I like the auction house. I like the way everyone is a real busybody one, because right, they all whisper at you when you make a big bet. Yeah. Where'd this kid get this kind of money? <laughs> it's, it's like a weird sort of weaponized capitalistic fervor where you just flash the fact that you've got more treasure than everybody else and you literally knock them for a loop with it so they can't come up with more money in spite of the fact that they actually do have more money it's great it's really good so oh the other most important side quest also takes place on windfall island and that's one of the bottle quests where it's also the second stealth segment in wind waker but it's not mandatory but it gets you a bottle so it might as well be mandatory and it's not nearly as bad as the first stealth segment Uh, what's the name of that particular girl mila mila yes okay so during this segment mila who was previously the richest girl on the island as she's the one who was in the really fancy dress in the cage with errol uh now she's super super duper poor and she works every day at the open air shop and if you happen to be around at night, you can kind of, Wait, do you have to get this quest from the shop owner first? No, though I think her father mentions that his daughter is mysteriously absent at night. He thinks that she's working somewhere else. He also doesn't work. That's right. That lazy ass. Right, because he's so used to being wealthy and that wealth just making more wealth for him that he doesn't really have the wherewithal the tools or the drive necessary to bring his family up out of poverty he got them into poverty by throwing his money around frivolously in spite of the fact that this did nothing oh wait no tetra tetra took all his goddamn money yes 
Okay, good. And then gave it to the f- poorest family in town, I guess? No, the poorest family, she didn't charge that much. And then afterwards, they became rich because Meg had a romance with a moblin. And he sent her treasure? or Yeah, he sent her necklaces. Oh, oh and I forgot the- about this ass. <laughs> oh, right. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, the, uh, the, the, the weird post-kidnapping stories of the two girls is one of the most fun side quest stories in The Wind Waker. The difference with the side quest for these collectibles, like the skull necklaces and the uh, butterfly necklaces, are tied into characters. Uh, you collect them, but it's not just for the sake of collecting them, and it's not just for the sake of selling them. When you give the skull necklaces to the... Okay, so after the girls have been rescued and brought back, the next time you see them, the poor and rich families have basically swapped places. And the previously poor family... uh, What's the other girl's name? Maggie? Maggie? Oh, yeah, I think Mm -hmm. it is Maggie. I said Meg, but Maggie. Okay, so... Maggie and her family used to be poor, but they're super rich now. And the way that they got rich is that her father would take the skull necklaces that Mo the... I'm guessing it's supposed to be Moblin, but I'm going to keep saying Moblin because fuck off. Uh, Mo the Moblin kept sending to Meg. Her father would take them... Maggie, damn it! Mo the Moblin sent skull necklaces to Maggie, and Maggie's father would take them and sell them. Now, whenever you bring her father's skull necklaces, he will buy them off of you, turn around and sell them at a much higher price. But it's a good way to make money still. But the reason that he got them is because she has this running romance with Mo the Moblin from the Forsaken Fortress, a romance that started while she was there. It's kind of sweet. And now they communicate by letter and you send the letters off. And I think probably I killed Mo at some point. Mo's letter says that he wants to eat her. Is that what it says? Yes. Uh-huh. Oh, hold on. Like in a romantic sense, she no. thinks. Well, Maggie's figurine description that says that she's quite popular with all the boys, but she prefers wild boys over all others. Good. I'm. I'm glad. <laughs> <laughs> Let's look at how fun it is to break every to break all the pots in the rich home. All of them. Uh huh. Great feeling. But what? Don't they take your money? Well, that's why you go after you've spent all of your money on Tingle charts. Oh, so you just break all of his shit, and then he's like, I'm going to take... Oh, damn it. (laughs) It's great. Yeah, it's good. I like... Okay, I'm just going to read Moe's letter to uh, Maggie real quick. This does mean that he survived, Link. It it does. It does mean that Moe was one of the moblins who got the hell out of the way when Link was tearing ass through there with the Master Sword. Okay, so once you deliver Moe's letter to Maggie, which is one of the parts of this side quest, I don't remember what exactly it's for, but I think you might get a heart piece out of it or something, or just money. Uh, So you give it to Maggie, and Maggie says, "Is, Is that... Could it be the letter from Moe that I saw in my dreams? Let me read it this instant. Um, this is Mo. I like you, Maggie, so much that I want to eat you for dinner. She thinks it's a marriage proposal. Yeah. It's the happiest day of her life. And from here on out, it will be the anniversary of true love for her and Mo. And God bless. God yeah. bless. 
it, may we all be able to find such happiness, even in long distance relationships, which are hard. They're not easy. And I admire this girl and her Moblin boyfriend for being able to get through that. And I sincerely hope that Mo was being figurative when he said what he did. And also that he doesn't disappear and smoke when the game is over. That might happen, though. <laughs> that might happen. Moblins are still creatures of inherent evil, even though they can hold romances with prisoners. So Maggie's over there being rich and having this long-distance Victorian romance with this boy that she really likes, this bad boy. She's basically living out a uh, LDR version of... Oh, what's the name of that book? I hate Come on, it's one of those romances. You have the several Beast. books. <laughs> no, it's not Beauty and the Beast. It's, um, shit. Wuthering, Wuthering Heights. Heights. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah, it was Wuthering Heights. And, uh, yeah, it's basically a Zelda version of a long-distance relationship, Wuthering Heights. That's what it is. She really likes her bad boy and doesn't understand why everyone else doesn't like him. Heathcliff? Yeah, Mo is Heathcliff. Yes, exactly. That's what I'm saying. Why would you say such a thing? Because Mo is Heath. Well, am I talking shit about Mo here or about Heathcliff? Because I think I'm talking shit about Mo. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry, Mo. If you're still out there and not smoke, I'm sorry that I said that. So while Maggie's over here being super rich, uh, did you say her name was M- Mila? Mila. Uh, Mila's uh, being poor, working in the open air shop, and. If you talk to her father, you find out that she goes out at night, and he assumes that she's got another job trying to support the family, the the, the lazy bastard. And you track her down, and you find that she's being very sneaky, and you have to follow her very subtly, always out of her line of sight. And at some point, she hears you, and she goes, Ah, what was that? And in response, Link meows like a cat. And it's actually a really convincing meow. It's one of the weirdest moments of the game. When he meows? Yes. Because Link doesn't talk? Yes. But he meows? Yes. Meow! <laughs> Which is pretty close to the sound he makes. And you keep tracking her down, and eventually you find her trying to break into the safe at the open air shop. And it's an interesting bit, because as you're walking toward her, you can see a little thought bubble above her head, and it's got a shining rupee in the thought bubble, and you can hear her heartbeat as you get close, like, do 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 because it's a really high-tension moment, her trying to break into the safe. And of course, you spoil it. And when you're talking to her about it, the fact that she's trying to break into the safe, you get to hear her whole sob story about how her really rich family became very poor. And it's got some good lines in it. And it's also interesting because this is the Wind Waker equivalent to a Bioware or a Witcher style conversation where you can have different choices that you pick to go throughout the conversation. But because it's a Zelda game, the correct choice is always the one on top. Because like, oh, that's a very sad story. Link does understand her plight and how being poor sucks. But at the same time, he can't just let her walk away because he's honest. Because he's an ally of justice. He's an ally of justice. If he was an ally of justice, wouldn't he let Mila steal Zunari's money? Oh, here, that, there, here's just the thing. He does actually let her walk away. Yeah, just without the theft. Without the theft. And she gives him a bottle. It has such clear, beautiful glass And she says that she wishes her soul could be that beautiful. And she's like, oh my god, being poor makes you say some corny shit. It's like, ah, good to know you haven't changed. When you meet her later, she does find a nighttime job on another island, she says. Oh, another island even. God, this girl travels to keep her family supported. I hope she leaves her dad. She has to at some point, right? Maybe her dad will drown. He has back problems, Cam. Does he? As he's uh-huh. got his, as he got those back problems from constantly looking down at people all the time from atop his high oh, balcony. 
Yeah, I think I mean, that's... He, look, if you break all his vases and he doesn't, and you don't have any money to pay him, he will scream so hard that Link is knocked back out of the door. That's pretty good. Uh, that but also he doesn't lock you up in jail to starve to death. Well, I mean, I don't... There isn't actually a formal law enforcement structure on Windfall, I don't think. I mean, there's a jail. Then what's the jail for? The fuck do I know? <laughs> it's like every time... It's like they heard that Tingle guy kidnapped a person, so he needs to be in jail. I think it's just that, like... The mob com- justice. Mob, it's mob justice. Nobody cares about this rich guy's vases. Yeah. It's like, oh, this kid broke all my vases, and they're like, shut the fuck up, Terry. You and your vases. God. Anyway, Windfall's great, and I love every character on it, but that rich dad become poor dad can go take a long walk off a short pier. The poor dad that becomes the rich dad is terrible, too. Oh, he's awful. I really hate both of them. It didn't make me feel very well. Neither of them made me feel well. Yeah, they're, uh, they're definitely concrete examples of how fathers in The Wind Waker are bad. There aren't any good fathers in this story period, that I can think of. No, Kamali's father is okay, but even he has to, like, pass the buck in terms of being able to instill good lessons upon his son. What about the Deku tree? What about the, uh, one beleaguered father on Outset Island? Oh, yeah, that guy. He's good, too. Yeah, he's fine. He's the one who owns the pigs, right? Uh-huh, and he's got a lot of kids, including the snot-nosed kid, and he's just, he's just trying to... He's, he's just trying. <laughs> just wipe your kid's nose, beleaguered father. I don't have children, so I'm allowed to make these just off-from-the-hip assumptions and judgments about your parenting style. All of them. I judge all parents, and it's easier because I am not one. And Monica continues to draw a meowing Link. Link does look kind of like a cat, which I think is related to why he meows in that sequence. Yeah. So if this Link went to the Dark World, he'd be a little kitty. Yeah. Yeah, very possibly. He'd be like an Animal Crossing kitty. Is the Dark World linked to the past the precursor to Animal Crossing? Does Animal Crossing take place in the Sacred Realm? Yes. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. It's a much nicer version of the Sacred Realm. Like, there are people in it, too. Are those the people who are people on the inside? <laughs> yeah, those are the, the non-furries. Oh, okay. Oh, so you play as one of the only normies in Animal Crossing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh. Okay. Well, that's very disappointing. We should definitely do a lore episode whenever the Switch version of Animal Crossing comes out. But anyway, so do we have any other major side quests or side stories we'd like to talk about? Not really. About you, Crystal? Mm, No, that's about it. Should we talk about the Elvis? How Elvis Man? Oh, right. Elvis Man. And he wasn't even a ghost, was he? No. He's a real human. He's a real human who just happens to really like Elvis and... And who knows the directions one has to conduct, but doesn't know that one has to conduct. Yes, he assumes it's some kind of dance, or it's a dance that he uses to pass the time. And he basically teaches you the song that allows you to turn day to night and night to day. Which, how useful is that usually? I guess it lets you get onto the ghost ship easier. It's pretty necessary in doing the Nintendo gallery. Oh, yeah. It takes him some time to carve. Right. And that lets you uh, get past the pro- oh that Nintendo Gallery problem. They actually shortened the number of days necessary for the Nintendo Gallery in the HD version, right? They increased the amount of... You could give him batch pictures. Oh. Well, that's just as good. Boy, 
this game had some quality of life improvements that really needed to be made in that transition. But it was part of the charm at the time. But then I never actually built the Nintendo Gallery, so I didn't have a very strong opinion on how that worked. I did it both times. Uh, should we and talk it's a great about the Sploosh Kaboom guy? Okay, yeah. T- 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 tell us about the Sploosh Kaboom guy. So he runs a little a little battleship mini game on uh, on Windfall Island, and when you miss the battleship, he says Sploosh. And when you hit the battleship, he says, kaboom. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I do love him. He has another game somewhere else, right? Yes. It's out on the sea. And it's like the real version of the pretend game that he was running on Windfall. So you have to actually aim out there with a cannon and shoot a bunch of barrels or something. I like him because he tries very hard at his job. So much so that you can see all of these um, ramen bowls on the side where he... He ate and couldn't get rid of them, I guess. Right, because he's been eating real cheap, because he's just eating at work. Yes, and he does all the voices for all the parts. Yes, because each of these games also has a story tied into it, where you're, like, fighting off pirates or monsters to save the village children. And whenever you manage to win the game, he pulls up the cutout that he puts over his face, and it's like a bunch of children going, Hooray! Yeah! Yippee! And... You've saved the children by winning the game. And do you get anything for playing these games? A lot. What do you get? I think a piece of heart and definitely some charts. Charts. We never really talked about how the fact that most of Link's interfacing with this economy, the way that he makes money is treasure-based. Yes. He gets treasure from the old world and uses that to buy shit here. It's basically Waterworld. So is uh, Windfall Island Kakariko Village or not? It's definitely the equivalent to it, but I don't think that it's literally Kakariko. No, it's got a windmill. It, it's got a graveyard. It it does. Wait, mm, it does have both those it has things. A grave, <laughs> huh? It does have a grave, huh? It definitely. Mm, but it's so far away from. Dra- Wait, it's actually pretty cro- close to Dragon Roost, yeah. isn't it? Shit. Yeah. It's Kakariko. It's yeah. basically Kakariko. It's Kakariko. Yeah. You know, you know, uh, Roam actually says the name at the beginning of Breath of the Wild. How does he pronounce it? Oh, shit. Hold on. The hero's charm has Sheikah eyes on it. Oh, yeah. Crystal, while I'm looking this up, why don't you uh, tell us about the hero's charm? Uh, You get it by giving Miss Marie 40 joy pendants, which I believe is twice as much as you need to get the island. So clearly is a very valuable treasure. Uh, And it reveals the life meter of any enemy you target. I think they changed where it appears in the HD version. They moved it to the bottom of the Savage Labyrinth. Oh, yes, yeah, so they did. Which is an interesting decision, I guess, because a, a heart piece used to be there, but somebody must have decided it was too hard so that some people might miss a heart piece. So we'll stick this other item there. And that item is pretty good for getting as a prize for that. It's a, definitely a unique prize. Yeah. I like that they brought over that same functionality into the hero uh, to the champion's tunic in Breath of the Wild. Like being able to see how much health the enemy has is very cool, but the hero's mask looks very silly in this one. Yes. And I never wear it because what if I get a cutscene? It looks too silly. Okay. Crystal, did you get that link? Yeah, he pronounces it Kakariko. Yeah, Kakariko. So I, I'm going to take that one as the canon pronunciation for now. Until they upend this another game. Yeah, they definitely could. Yeah, but he has he has uh, he has an old kingdom accent. <laughs> K- 
Kakariko is an old kingdom town. Are you saying that in yeah, are you saying that in modern Hylian Circa the Wind Waker they would say Kakariko? Yeah. I'm there there's lots of different pronunciations for names of things. There doesn't have to be one canon one. Okay, sure. Why the hell not? We can go with that. Is uh, Istanbul, Constantinople. It is Istanbul, <laughs> not Constantinople. Uh oh, did we talk about the magic shield? No, we did not. Because the magic shield runs off of Link's magic meter. How do you get it in the HD version? Because I remember the only way to get it in the original was that you had to complete a trading quest with the Gorons who you could sometimes find on certain islands and the open-air shop on Windfall Island. And you would basically deliver flowers from the Gorons to the shop and from the shop to the Gorons, and they would set up trade routes between them and send their goods back and forth to each other. And this, what seemed like it was a reasonable thing, but the owner of the open-air shop somehow made it feel like a Ponzi scheme when he was talking about it. Uh, yeah. He did! That dude Yeah, is... you obtain it the same way in the HD version. It just drains your rupees instead of your magic. Oh, okay. So it was another rupee sink. Well, that's good. That's a, another way to handle it. The color of the hero's shield in this one, I think, is the same color as the magical barrier that Ganon puts up between Hyrule Castle and his castle. Is it? It's purple. Mm. I could be wrong. Yeah, it's about the same color. The markings in the orb inside kind of look like, well, I don't know what they kind of look like. They're kind of unique. Well, that's cool. What are you looking at? Charlie? I was actually going to say maybe they kind of look twilight-y. Really? Let me get that image for you. Oh, they do look awfully twilighty. Yeah. Huh. So maybe this is twilight magic or something. Magic from the interlopers. Now lost to time. Mm -hmm. This will come up again. But oh. it also plainly looks like the magic spells from Ocarina of Time. It does, because the magic spells from Ocarina of Time were also presented to you in a crystal, and they had orbs of magic in the center of them. Like, Din's Fire was an orange orb in the middle of a blue crystal, and Faror's Wind was a green orb, and so on. Anyway, it's definitely supposed to be reminiscent of those, I guess, but the particular patterns on that orb do definitely look like Twilight stuff, which is weird. I guess Onuma probably had some ideas for Twilight Princess while this game was in the oven. Hmm. I guess we could also probably look up at some point if the art direction was headed by the same guy, because that could just be an art direction thing. But in canon, yeah, yeah, who knows? Yeah, they were probably thinking about Twilight Princess already. So that's the basics of what we want to cover. Uh, we've got the Triforce all gathered up. We've created the Triforce of Courage. We've got the key to see old Hyrule again. We've gathered all the bottles. We've got the majority of the heart pieces that we need. Is there anything else that we need to do? Anyone else that we need to go talk to? Because we've already gone and seen Grandma. We've gotten all the conversations on Outset that we could possibly want to see. Is there anything else we need to do before we go after Ganon? Did you get maximum appreciation from Beetle? No. God. Yes. Oh, okay. Yes. What do you get for that? He says, I appreciate you oh it's great beetle is the biggest asshole every Thank time you <laughs> every time he appears he gets worse <laughs> he does good 
He's good as a character, but he's the biggest asshole. Oh he works my God. hard. He works very hard. I have to give him that. He is like... Beetle is like... Bye. Beetle is like what would happen if every business owner <laughs> was forced to treat with customers the same way that retail employees have to. Yeah. Yeah. I think we should talk about the moment where Link finishes gathering all of the Triforce shards. Okay, tell us about it. Um, this is just not even when he gathers all the Triforce shards, but when he goes back to the Tower of the Gods mm-hmm. and then he raises or the, the Triforce of Courage appears and spins around and then goes into Link's hand. And the King of Red Lions is very startled by this. Ah. Uh. But it is proof that you're indeed the true hero. And something about surely from this moment forth, he'll be known as the Hero of Winds. Which is probably not as cool a title as the Hero of Time, but okay. So why do you think that the king is startled by this? I don't think any one of the um, benevolent old folk really thought Link was the hero. They just thought that he was a kid fulfilling the same role, but the hero had to be the Hero of Time who had defeated Ganon before. Yeah. But that Link gets the Triforce of Courage and it creates that crest on his hand identifies him as the hero. Yep. And then you go back to Hyrule. And do you have anything in particular about that sequence that strikes you as interesting, Crystal? Uh, The way Link just kind of stares at his hand, not understanding really what's going on, but knowing that this is an important moment uh, stands out to me. Link has a lot of bits like that in this game, I find, where he's not quite sure what it is that he's seeing, but he's pretty sure it's what's supposed to be happening and that it's a good thing. He has good reactions. He does. Just generally good reactions. And then once you have the Triforce of Courage, you can return to Hyrule. And it is the Triforce of Courage and the repowered Master Sword in tandem that lets you walk past Ganon's barrier. Wait, wait. Oh. No, first you go into the castle. Oh, God. And then you see the statue is smashed and, you know, the the secret hideout is not that secret and everybody's very surprised. Oh, yeah. And, and Ganon kidnaps Zelda. Yeah, well, I think that must have happened some time ago because while there is, you think Zelda is there standing in the center, she zaps out. It's an illusion. And Ganon tries to kill you with a couple of dark nuts, I think. Oh, yes. It's a trap that's been sitting there Ganon for a while. says, uh, you have deceived yourself. Did you think you'd be safe inside the castle? Foolish. Now that my power has been restored, there is no safe haven for you. I have taken your precious Zelda. And here you shall fall into eternal slumber. So that's like attempt number two at Link's life. Such as it is. I mean, he only throws two or three dark nuts at you. Mm, true. Yeah. He's just going to make Link go into eternal slumber. Yeah, that's uh, it's a very particular kind of uh, metaphor that Gan's using there. But he does intend to murder this child, sort of. Or at least he wants him to think so. Here you sleep the sleep eternal. Yeah, that's basically just saying murder. I'm, I'm going to murder you. So then you kick the dark nut butt. He's going to s- steal Link's soul. Yeah, that's also... This game has some weird sayings for murders. So then you kick the dark nut butts. The fire barrier goes down. You walk on outside and you smash the dark magical barrier. And then you can walk your merry way over to Ganon's castle or Ganon's tower. Tower. 
which is very close to Hyrule Castle. Yeah, why did he build it so close? I That's think, where it was before. Uh, is that where it was? Well, I mean, it, it, Ganon's Tower in Ocarina of Time basically stood where Hyrule Castle used to be, and Hyrule Castle looked like it had been destroyed and sunk into magma. Yep. I guess that's basically where it was before. But I think that also Ganon's Tower appearing right next to Hyrule Castle is probably the sign that they needed to go, okay, we have to we have to do the thing now. Now, 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 now. Because everything's about to end. Yeah. And in the tower, you have to refight the four bosses. Because they're acting as a seal on the door. Right. Basically, you have to go through these four different branching paths, which are marked with some very Ganon symbols, like a giant pig head. But it's like an evil boar head, so it's cooler than if I just say pig head. Though pigs are kind of thematic in Wind Waker. They're really cute until Ganon shows up. And at the end of them, you fight these weird uh, monochrome sort of ghostly versions of the bosses that play these weird music. Not quite music box, but these very distorted versions of their boss themes. You only have the weapons that you had in that moment as well. Oh, so it's literally retesting your abilities. Yeah. I think it's really a spell that um, sets you back in time. Mm. Wind Waker, much like Twilight Princess and Breath of the Wild before its DLC... It does not have any options that allows you to refight its bosses and sort of makes up for that with this boss rush that you have to go through. But I really like the fact that a lot of the games, particularly the Ocarina of Time 3D remake, uh, Majora's Mask, Skyward Sword, and Breath of the Wild post-DLC let you refight the bosses as you enjoy doing it. And it was always struck me as sort of a weakness in Wake, Wind Waker's design that you couldn't do it outside of this bit. Um, so from there, you you enter the the sealed door, and it's an it's a interesting split path where you can unlock uh, basically a warp to go back up, and it's like this dark evil warp. And the King of Red Lines shows up and says that this must be how Ganon seeped into the world above because it is a breach in the barrier that was supposed to be holding him yes and if you go through the warp it puts you in the forsaken fortress yes um there is a sealed door again and then there is the other room where you have to jump into a giant pit and then go through a labyrinth effectively of um, phantom ganons oh yes is this the sequence where you get the light arrow Yes. So the light arrow is just hidden in Ganon's tower? Yeah, Ganon has the light arrows. That was a mistake. Why does Ganon have the light arrows? Why does he give you the light arrows? So that you can get past Phantom Ganon. Why didn't he just not have Phantom Ganon there? I don't fucking know. I guess it's... To some degree, it'll get, we'll get into it a bit more thoroughly once we actually meet Ganon in the tower. I think Ganon is testing to see who you are. Ganon wants a rematch in the same circumstances as the last fight. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah. He wants to prove he can win. Maybe. Fair and square. Um, And the Phantom Ganons all have these swords that drop, and they point with their hilt, I think, towards the right door for you to go through. Right. And the swords, the inscription on the swords, if you translate it, translates to Zubora Gubora. 
which hmm. is the name of the smith in in Majora's Mask. Huh. That's very important. Mm. Yes, that does seem so. What? Mm, what? Mm, mm. Okay, I'm pretty sure that probably doesn't mean anything, but it's a real interesting little tidbit. The idea that Phantom Ganon's sword is forged by the Smith of this pocket universe. Ganon also has an inscription on his sword. What does it say? Genuine. Oh, it's the real article because he's not a phantom. Yes. Oh. Does that imply that Zubora Gabora is not a genuine smith? That he's... Well, obviously, because he doesn't actually do any of the work. But does it also imply that, like, he's imaginary? I don't know. That everything about Majora's Mask was imaginary? Was this, this the first hint that Majora's Mask was just a dream? I don't know, but this seems like a very Japanese joke. Yes. Because it's also made in FF12. Oh, right, yeah. Oh, wait, but in FF12, in Final Fantasy XII, you end up fighting this wandering warrior styled after Gilgamesh from the Ballad of Gilgamesh. And he, in Final Fantasy, has this bit where he goes around and fights the strongest people. And if he defeats them, he takes their swords. Now, the thing about Gilgamesh in Final Fantasy XII is that he has swords from throughout the entire series. He has the Buster Sword from Final Fantasy VII. He has Squall's Gunblade from Final Fantasy VIII, on and on. Now, the other part about it is that on some of those swords, they have words written on them. Like, I think the Buster Sword has fake on it. Yes. And there's another sword that has genuine written on it, but it's one of the only, it's one of the ways that you can tell it's not the actual sword. Yeah, they look a little off. He's carrying nothing but fake weapons. Except for the Dragon Hero. The Dragon Hero Sword is just the Dragon Hero Sword. Anyway, this is a very Japanese joke, I feel. I, I, I wish that I had a better understanding of what, like, the background of that joke. I'm sure that there's a real interesting article we could read if we could read Japanese. Uh, Zubora does mean slob in Japanese. I'm trying to find if Gabora means anything. Huh. Huh. Is, I wonder if it's related to Kapora Gabora. I forget. Was Zubora Gabora the name of just that small guy, or was one of them named Zubora and the other one Gabora? Yeah, one's Zubora, one's Gabora. Oh. Uh, Gabora's the big one. Interesting. That's weird. Well, it might not mean that the sword's fake. I don't know. But the sword, after you get the light arrows and you can just blow up everything in the game short of Ganon. The light arrows are so powerful in this. Like, you shoot a moblin with them, they basically just evaporate. You shoot Phantom Ganon with it, taken out in one fucking shot. Yeah, after you do that and return to the center room with the second sealed door, um, you shoot Phantom Ganon there again, and he leaves his sword behind, and that sword is what is needed to dispel the second shield, or seal. So it's Ganon's magic that breaks the second thing. Yes. Huh. Or Zubora Gabor's handiwork. Yeah, okay. The only thing I can find in Gabor is that it's the name of a monster in Ultraman, which I guess... I could see someone naming a big monstrous blacksmith guy after that. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Nerds. And then you climb a long stairway. Yes, with Ganon's song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you open one last door, and there's some shallow water and a bed with a curtain. It's this enormous circular chamber with... We call it shallow water, but it comes up past Link's knees, and he has to walk through it very slowly. He's short. He is short. And he has very low-level knees. And, uh, well, he does, but 
in the center of this enormous chamber is an elevated platform with a palatial bed and the bed covers have Gerudo patterns on them and there are torches on either side and what seems almost like mosquito netting I think we can assume looking at it like you pointed out earlier Monica that this may actually be Ganondorf's bed it's a nice well-sized bed because he's a generous sized person yeah and on the bed link notices that zelda is sleeping and seated on the opposite side facing away from link is ganondorf and as link comes in ganondorf turns and he looks and he says are you sleeping still and it's easy to assume that he's asking that of zelda but watching the scene i also can't help wondering if perhaps he's talking to link Because in spite of all of this, in spite of everything, all the trials that he's gone through, all of the motifs that he's picked up for himself, all the forms that he's adhered to, Link still doesn't have knowledge of the conflict that he's taking part in. He doesn't know exactly who he is. Or he doesn't know the past. Well, that's that's, that's from Ganon's perspective, right? Mm. And... Link looks like he's about to go on the attack, and Ganon says, Wait, don't be so hasty. I can see this girl's dream. And basically he says that in her dreams, all that she sees are the sea. She sees an endless sea that yields no fish to cat. And, oh, let me take a second to pull this up. They are vast seas. None can swim across them. They yield no fish to catch. What did the king of Hyrule say? That the gods sealed Hyrule away, and they left behind people who would one day awaken Hyrule? How ridiculous. So many pathetic creatures, scattered across a handful of islands, drifting on this sea like fallen leaves on a forgotten pool. What can they possibly hope to achieve? Don't you see? All of you. Your gods destroyed you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Now, I want to stop it there for just a moment. Crystal, tell me about the Flood of Hyrule. What do you mean? Tell me about what happened when Hyrule flooded. Well, I don't know what you're asking me. Okay. You've said before that the specific way you see the events taking place at the time was that the gods of the Triforce specifically moved in to flood Hyrule in response to the people begging that the gods save them. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. I see what you're asking. Yeah, Gan's right. The, uh, the gods destroyed Hyrule. Now, suppose, though, that it was not those gods, because it is not the people of Hyrule who speak to the gods, and it is not the gods of the Triforce to whom the actual speakers can speak. We know, from talking to Fado, that it is the king of Hyrule who previously used the Wind Waker to conduct the prayers of the sages to communicate with the gods. And we know from the Cyclone brothers that they are also gods who are called upon by the Wind Waker, one of them a god of wind and one of them a god of storms. Suppose that the distant gods of the Triforce did not answer a prayer, that it was not Din Nehru and Faror who flooded Hyrule in his darkest hour. Suppose that in response to the possibility of Ganon destroying Hyrule utterly and ending 
everything about his kingdom that he loved. It was the king of Hyrule who used the Wind Waker to call down the rain. Okay, I like this idea. My idea, basically, is that it is the minor gods, Volu, Yabon, the Deku Tree, Cyclos, uh, Zephos, all of them working together, who created the circumstances necessary to get the people out of Hyrule and up onto the hills so that when the rains came, brought by the storm gods, parts of Hyrule would still survive. And it was the king of Hyrule who decided that it had to be destroyed in this way. And when he found out that Hyrule had not been destroyed, or when he moved not to destroy it utterly, depending on how you read the barrier over Hyrule, that he is the one who thought, ah, there is still a chance for us to bring Hyrule back. I definitely think that... Yeah, that makes... No, go on, Monka. I definitely think that the the king left that bubble over that final area of Hyrule just because he could not let it go. What, what were you going to say, Crystal? I would say it makes more sense. That theory makes more sense to me than the gods getting involved at all because why would they care? Right. And why would they care now and not the last time Ganon won? Right. That's one of the things that strikes me about the whole sequence is that it adds another layer to the king's character if you treat him with the understanding that he is willing to destroy his kingdom, but only just so far. It does also bring to mind the question of how he was able to erect a barrier over Hyrule, because he himself does not have much in the way of magic in this. He conducts and calls upon the gods, but he is not the one who is able to bring down the rain. He is simply the one who makes the decision. He had the Triforce of Wisdom. Did he? Yes, he did. And he's the one who split the Triforce of Wisdom. Oh, yes. Okay. So at the time, he most likely sent the Triforce of Wisdom's half with his daughter or his wife out hoping that they would be able to keep things going. And he's the one who stayed behind to conduct the reins. He's the one who arranged the sages so that they would keep the seal on Ganon's power intact. I like this theory because it gives a lot more agency to people and also a lot more flaws. I, th- I think you could take them as flaws in like the Greek sense. Yeah. To the king, you mean? It also gives a good reason for the king's ghost to persist. Yes. yes. Yes, it does. Because the job is not done. And I think it's interesting to mull on whether he is he intends to bring Hyrule back or intended to at some point, or you know, he was always intending to sort of let that go. I don't really think he fully reached that, that letting go until the end of the game. Yes. Um, as Ganon points out, I th- and because it's interesting that Ganondorf knows so perfectly what the King of Hyrule says. But as Ganondorf points out, it was originally done with the intent, or rather, the King of Red Lions did originally intend, through Link, to bring Hyrule back without the shadow of Ganon over it. But the sake of preserving Hyrule, or a part of old Hyrule, was also what allowed Ganon to persist. We'll get to that. But yes, that's, that's... So... Go ahead. In this game, the king is really only acting in reaction to Ganon. Why would he wait this long 
to, say, gather back the Triforce. Yes. Well, partially I think it's because he did not know anything about where the Triforce of Courage was. But yes, gathering the Triforce of Wisdom back together, he most likely intended for this never to happen. But he also may have been... There have been lines from different uh, characters. I think it's Jabun that the King of Red Lions has been searching for the Hero of Time for some time. Mm. So that could all be in relation to restoring Hyrule. The idea is that he's been searching for... Okay, so he... Go ahead. Yeah, so he was looking for the right person, but because Ganon came back now, he's had to say, okay, this kid's going to have to do. Yes. Yeah, it... It's interesting the way that it frames him, I think. This reading of him as a person who was willing to destroy his kingdom and then regrets it and has to deal with the consequences of his actions really enriches his character a lot, I think. People talk a lot about Midna being the best sidekick character in a Zelda game, but I think a stronger argument could actually be made for the King of Red Lions. He's not as spunky. He's not as spunky. But he's got a lot of bullshit going on, the big old jerk motherfucker. Anyway, anyway, so that that's how I read that particular line, and that Ganon doesn't fully understand it either, or else he's talking about a different set of gods. But after he claims that your gods destroyed you, he says to Link, I have been waiting for you, boy, for one like you. Yes, for the hero. Do not betray my expectations. And then, after that, he sends Puppet Ganon after you. I like Puppet Ganon. The summoning sequence for Puppet Ganon is really freaky looking. Because Ganon turns into, like, this big shadow that the puppet comes lumbering out of. And it's literally being controlled by strings that hang up from very high up in the tower. So you get this impression that perhaps Ganon is controlling the puppet directly. You really get the sense that Ganon is a wizard. Yeah, he's very wizardy in this game. He's like a scary wizard. It's interesting that Ganon the Beast never actually shows up in this game, but Ganondorf continually represents himself that way. Yes. I think that on some degree he sees it as being emblematic of himself, but he himself is still insistently Ganondorf. He introduces himself as Ganondorf. It's the only way he thinks of himself. He is not a monster to himself. He is a man who uses the imagery of a monster. He's a nice guy. Oh, I don't know about that <laughs> shit. I don't think even he would claim that, but uh, yeah, he, he's definitely not a beast. Did, 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 when you guys played, did you read the strings as being literal strings that were controlling the puppet? Because when you cut them, the puppet does go limp. Oh, for sure. Yeah. So is Ganon controlling it with his hands or with, like, magic? Both. Okay. So when you kill the puppet with the light arrows... And this is interesting because I think that Ganon makes it very clear through saying, do not betray my expectations, that he expects you to defeat Puppet Ganon. And it has a weakness that can only be exploited by the light arrows. You have to be strong enough to get past this. But once you defeat it, he says, yes, surely you are the hero of time reborn. Your time has come. Come now. Stand before me. And this is the first acknowledgement that Wind Waker Link is a significant character, not just a person of coincidence. Yes, all the other characters from old Hyrule, especially the King of Red Lions, uh, well, it's pretty much just the King of Red Lions who says this, that Link himself is not the hero. He's just a person. But what Ganon says here, that he is the hero of time reborn, it doesn't mean that he is the reincarnated spirit 
of the person who defeated Ganon in the long ago. Rather, through trial and effort and suffering and struggle, Link has achieved the spirit of the hero. I think it can be both. It's our source yeah, of disagreement. both ways are appropriate for Ganon. Well, what I'm saying here is, and we talked about this a very little bit in the Breath of the Wild episode, if I remember that correctly, is that the understanding of the hero as this unbroken chain of a reincarnated soul is kind of limiting in terms of what a hero can be, because it always means that there's only one person who can be a hero. But if you read Wind Waker in this way, that Link becomes the hero through trial, that he achieves a particular soul by forging himself in trials, that it's not a question of the right person coming along. It's the question of any person deciding that things need to be done. Link walks like the hero until the hero walks like him. Yeah, okay. I like that. I think it's open That's, to interpretation, that is a phrase from the Elder Scrolls. Oh, okay. Elder Scrolls. Yeah. Oh, I think it's open to interpretation. You, you, would, you would like the Elder Scrolls uh, take on how reincarnation works. Oh, how is that? Which is that, like you said, it's not necessarily that... It can be the other way around. It's not that your soul is, re- is reborn into another person's body... It's more that another person forges their soul in such a way that it is indistinguishable from yours for all intents and purposes. The idea that over time you become what you are supposed to be. It's like you you strive to be the hero and you become the hero. Yeah. I think that it can be both. And I know it's tempting to lean towards, you know, hard work pulling off this achievement but there's something also to be said of something implicit taking place as well how do you mean link is the only person in each of these who rises to that occasion to that ability to have the hero spirit that there well that there is only one person who rises yeah it's not just any person though but i think that to some degree there is this understanding that even though even though there are times when nobody rises up somebody could because the big thing that differentiates link from everyone else and this goes all the way back to the very beginning of the game is not some inborn quality that is an effect of his bloodline or of a spirit born into him it is his courage and his willingness to fight for the people he loves no i I definitely acknowledge there is some honing going on but my exception to this is that you know where you're qualifying it as anybody who works hard can achieve this i think it's important to have acknowledgement that there are some barriers be it you know your social circumstances or your genes or whatever that cause it more difficult for other some than others some people have a leap sure i'm I'm not necessarily saying that snot kid But I am saying that it's important to my understanding of Wind Waker in particular and Zelda in general that Link is not just... He's not the eternal champion of Michael Moorcock's books where it's a single soul shared across many multiple timelines or multiple universes. It's more that they strive... Link, we keep calling him Link, but Link isn't his 
necessarily his name in this game. His name can be anything. He can be any person. He's you to some degree, unless you're a girl. <laughs> but uh, Link can be anyone. And that's part of the idea. Or Link can come from anywhere. Perhaps our difference in perceiving this is because Link can't be a girl. That is definitely part of it. Okay, Cameron. That is definitely a big, that's a big fashion of it. But, you know, this also ties into Breath of the Wild, I think, where Zelda does not gain the power that is her birthright until she awakens to the fullness of who she is. Yeah. Through loss and pain and love and a need to protect the things she cares about. It's not a quality that's just in her. It's... There is still something that has to be achieved. Yes. It's not... Twilight Princess breaks very, very, very hard from this because Link is basically just born with the Triforce of Courage. But in this game, Wind Waker Link has to earn fucking everything. He has to earn the fact that he's a hero. He has to earn the Master Sword. He has to earn the Triforce of Courage in a way that no hero since Adventure of Link has had to do. He has to put it back together just from nothing. It's... Anyway, Monica and I will continue to have this argument for years because this is something that we return to occasionally every time we talk about Wind Waker or Breath of the Wild or Twilight Princess or any of the games where the question of the reincarnation of the hero comes up. We have I, a few. Well, we have a few fights. Yeah. I think you have to widen your understanding of what the spirit of the hero can be because it's not just you're born with it or you're not and it's not just you earn it, so to speak, but it, it can, if we are willing to accept that it is a force that exists externally, it can also come to you later in life. I don't even know that I necessarily think it's a force that exists externally. Rather, it's, it's something that you strive to be, and in striving, you become it. And that's a little overly simplistic, of course. Not everybody can be the hero, but it's, uh, it's an interpretation that I find much more palatable than the average but when Ganondorf says that Link is the hero of time reborn, I don't read it as being a literal thing. Because all this, up to this point, it was just a test. If it was just a question of him really, genuinely being the hero of time reborn, I think that the relationship that he has with his character would be very different. But he sees here the hero, and that's the important thing. The hero who was supposed to stop him is here now. I can see Ganon thinking of it in a very literal sense. I can also see him thinking of it the way you describe. I think either way sort of fits with his character. Well, regardless of how you read it, Ganon retreats into shadow above the top of the tower and waits for Link to arrive. He's got Zelda wrapped up in a blanket. Oh, yeah. She would get cold otherwise. <laughs> the blanket goes away. At some point, yes. So then you climb, you climb up the red rope and the rafters... And then you hook shot up into the the very top of the tower. And there's Ganondorf and there's Tetra sleeping. And Ganondorf has his monologue. Okay. Um, this, this is an important monologue because this is the conversation in which a lot of people come to understand Ganondorf very differently from how the three of us do, I think. Crystal, do you want mm -hmm. to read this part? Sure. I also just want to note that uh, Ganon's definitely recreating the fight from Ocarina. He chooses to have it at the top of the tower, like when Link fought Ganondorf, not when Link fought Ganon. Right. Yeah. Damn. Okay, let me read the speech. 
My country lay within a vast desert. When the sun rose into the sky, a burning wind punished my lands, searing the world. And when the moon climbed to the dark of night, a frigid gale pierced our homes. No matter when it came, the wind carried the same thing, death. But the winds that blew across the green fields of Hyrule brought something other than suffering and ruin. I coveted that wind, I suppose. God. It can only be called fate, that here I would again gather the three with the crests, that I should lay my hand on that which grants the wishes of the beholder, that when power, wisdom, and courage come together, the gods would have no choice but to come down. The power of the gods, the Triforce, he who touches it will have whatever he desires granted. Already the crest of wisdom is mine. All that remains. Oh, and I love this bit here, after all that remains, because he looks at Link, and Link looks like he's ready to defend himself, but he's not. Ganon just punches. Ganon just moves, and in about one step, he's covered 20 meters, and he's already on top of Link, and just beats the living dog shit out of him. And the Master Sword goes flying, and nearly takes Tetra's head off. Yeah. And he just lays Link the fuck out. There's no question of who comes out of that exchange. There's nothing that Link could have done in that one moment. It's a really silly point to bring up, but I I find it interesting that in this moment when Ganon says that the the Crest of Wisdom is already his, it's still on Zelda's hand. It's not on Ganon's, but it's blinking like... A battery. Granted, but I mean, the Crest of Wisdom remains in her hand even when the Triforce is completely... Uh, it's still inside of her because you see it pop out of her in just a minute. Yeah. No, I think... Right. It's it's a minor thing, but, you know, he has it under his control, but it's in her. Right. And likewise, Link. Yeah. I love Link's face when Ganon is giving his big speech. Oh, He's yeah. He's just... <laughs> He looks a mix of dumbfounded and exhausted. It's like, I don't under- What? No, how are you- mm. When my sister first played this game, and I don't know if she was too young to understand it. She was not. She also <laughs> doesn't like reading through a lot of text. What carried her through this scene was Link making this face, and she laughed through the entirety of this very serious monologue. This very somber moment where... And I guess it's why Link has his face here for the slightly younger audience who probably wouldn't care for Gandorf being all dignified. There you have Link, you know, going, what the fuck? So how do most people understand this conversation? The one that leads up to Ganondorf beating the shit out of Link? Uh, most people see it as proving that Ganondorf was actually a sympathetic villain the whole time. And maybe Hyrule shouldn't shouldn't have been mean to the Gerudo. That's... mm. Yeah, that's definitely a common reading. Yes. There's also the fact that he... He's more self-aware. That's... I'm saying the common perspective is he's reached a point of self-awareness. Yeah, I'd say that'd be the common perspective. Yeah, (laughs) I might argue that he is less self-aware and he is mythologizing his own history. Yeah. And he's also taking away a lot from his own people, I think. Because the Gerudo, as we see them in Ocarina of Time, are a very successful, happy people who live well out in the desert. 
And this is illustrated further when you get to Breath of the Wild, where in some ways they lived the best lives of any of the peoples in Hyrule. It's talking about their environment as beating them down constantly, but they seem happy. It's like he's he's creating this sense of victimhood amongst a people for whom an under that understanding didn't seem to exist. Yes. Now, would it have been cool if everybody could? Yeah, I mean, go ahead. You know, every living in the desert is tough, but the Gerudos seem to be doing okay. They're thriving, even. Yeah, they're thriving people. And would it be cool if everybody could live in the green fields of Hyrule? I guess maybe, but the Gerudo don't actually seem to particularly want to. Even here's the damning part of the entire thing: when Ganondorf rules Hyrule and has ruled it for years, his people are still in the desert. Yep. Yeah. Because we have to remember that this is not a separate version of Ganondorf. This is very much the same person that you fought and defeated at the end of Ocarina of Time. He's the only character in the entire series who actually appears between two games that are so far removed from each other and is the same continuous person. It's not like, oh, maybe this Ganon is the same personality as that Ganon. This is the same guy. And his people are still in the desert the whole time. Yeah. If if Naburu heard Ganon give this speech, how do you think she would react? She would slap a motherfucker. <laughs> yeah. You've just, you just gotten soft from spending too much time in Hyrule. Yeah. But that's not even what it is. He doesn't speak for the Gerudo. No, he doesn't. Also, you don't actually care about us. No. he. I think on some level he did. Or maybe he came to care more about them later. But this speech is also a big rationalization. I must have done these things for a reason. Everything that I've participated in, everything that's happened, all the lives that I've taken, it must have been to some noble end. Because I can't just be the monster that they claim. Yeah, it's very human. Yes, this is easily the most human version of Ganondorf by miles and miles and miles. But a lot of people are taken in by this. I think this is kind of a dangerous conversation to have because I think that maybe even most of our listeners will end up being the part of the group of people who saw Ganondorf's speech here as being genuine. It can Something can be genuine while being incorrect. He does mean it. I believe he believes it. Yeah. He's lying to himself, and he doesn't know that he's lying to himself. Ugh, it's such a good version of this character. God damn. All right. Shall we continue? Uh, I'm just thinking about Ganondorf now, because one of the big complaints that people talk about with villains in the games that come after Wind Waker is that they never tried to humanize Ganondorf in the same way again. And what most people mean is that they never tried to make Ganondorf sympathetic or serious. But I just like this version of him that feels the need to see himself as a good person, because that is like... I could not name many games that I've played that came out in the past year or the past five years that have a good human motivation for their antagonist, period. Yeah. I mean, it's fine in something like Mario where you don't really expect much of a motivation, but games that treat themselves seriously often uh, fall down a little bit in terms of having a really human thing. It's like, oh, this person had good reasons. Like, no, they didn't. Nobody has good reasons for the shit that this person is doing. Shadow of the Colossus remake. Ah, okay. Yeah, Shadow of the Colossus is pretty fucking good. Anyway, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, Link is... Yeah, maybe the king should have built cultural outreach centers in... <laughs> uh-huh. Oh, I can tell that's going to be an interesting possible episode. So, 
<laughs> so uh, after he finishes with Link, he picks him up by the arm and says, Do not fear. I will not kill you. I merely have need of the power that dwells within you. And here we begin to hear the resonance as the symbol on Ganondorf's hand glows, and so do the symbols on Link and Tetra's hands. Now, let us put an end to that which binds us together. And the Triforce of Courage comes out from Link's hand, and the Triforce of Wisdom from Tetra's, and the Triforce of Power from Ganon. And they arrange themselves as the Triforce in its entirety. The true force, the engine of creation. And Ganon calls out, Gods, hear that which I desire, as he walks toward it with his hand reaching. Expose this land to the rays of the sun once more. Let them burn forth. Give Hyrule to me. And that's really a hell of a line, isn't it? Give Hyrule to me after that speech he just gave. Yeah. And Ganon is punked. Yeah. (laughs) I reaches his hand out. But there's another hand already on it. <laughs> he was too caught in the dramatic moment. He was. Well, I mean, he was going right for it. He was slowly walking instead of briskly walking. You know what? He's waited long enough for this. I think he's allowed to savor the moment. Well, he messed up. He did fuck up. He turns around and the fucking king of Hyrule is there with his hand on the Triforce. And he's like, sup, fool. He who... And this is like... Because the king's a ghost anyway. This is such a weird physical technicality. But also, I love it. You know, it's interesting, though, because there's certain... it. I do generally agree that the king is probably dead, but there's certain elements in this conversation and the conversation that happens afterward that implies that the king is effectively immortal up to this point and has never truly died. Strange levels of ghosts. There's very odd things going on with mortality in Wind Waker, and I like it a lot. Anyway, the king makes his wish. He who touches it will have whatever he desires granted. That is what you said, is it not, Ganondorf? And Interesting that he uses the name Ganondorf here at the end. uh, That's just more polite, isn't it? (laughs) But it's doubly interesting because that line also implies that until Ganondorf said it, the king didn't know that's how the Triforce worked. I don't know if I read it that way. Is he just being like, eh, ha, ha, ha. The way they treat the Triforce <laughs> yes. here is is as if it doesn't actually have intrinsic power, but it is a vehicle to communicate with the power of the gods. I think that maybe the king is seeing it the same way that he saw. Like He, he, he sees it according to his understanding of how wishes from the gods are granted because he was previously the wind waker he communicates with the gods through prayer ergo the triforce must work the same way but when ganondorf wishes on it he wishes on the triforce directly he says no they both say you, you went too far sorry no that he but he says and and oh, he the says kings God, gods gods here that so, which i desire yeah. <laughs> but in, in ganondorf's sense i think that's a you know fuck you guys you know, listen to what I want. You gotta, you have no choice here. The king seems like an earnest, you know, beseeching them. But he may have confused it with, like, you know, a, a direct line to the gods. <laughs> this is a cell phone, and if you, you know, send a text, the gods on the other end will go, oh, okay. Gods of the Triforce, hear that which I desire. Hope. I desire hope for these children. Give them a future. Wash away this ancient land of Hyrule. 
Let a ray of hope shine on the future of the world, and let our destinies finally be fulfilled. Ganondorf, may you drown with Hyrule. I really do think this is the moment when the king finally accepts that he has to let go of Hyrule. Yes. Yeah. This it is an amazing scene. God. Yeah. Especially after the king is done speaking and it kind of hangs on the robes blowing in the wind for a while. God. There's nothing not great about it. Yeah. But it's also... This Go ahead. whole ending is the best directed sequence in The Legend of Zelda. Ooh, I'd have to think about that for a while. It is wonderful. I, I linked Cam to a moment in it um, earlier today when I was making notes. And it's just when Ganondorf is approaching the Triforce and still monologuing. And it's lit in such a way that his shadow is giant and looming and... It, you see the Triforce at the very forefront, but its shadow is also giant and looming across the screen. It's so great. I think there's some moments in Breath of the Wild that might compare to it, but in terms of character density, how much shit is going on between these two people who are representing a conflict that is so old and should be forgotten, yeah, there's nothing else in the series quite like it. They never went in this hard again. Though there's two aspects to this sequence that I do want to point out here. One, it doesn't necessarily mean that he's not a ghost, but when the King of Hyrule tells Ganondorf to drown with Hyrule, it does seem like part of his wish's intent is that Ganondorf should be killed. Oh, yeah. The other part is that if it was the King's magic that was holding up the sea, he would not need the Triforce to break it. Mm. Hmm. Maybe. That's how I see it. Well, Because as soon as he makes this wish, the water begins to push through. Well, look at it this way. He did not have the full Triforce of Wisdom since the flooding of Hyrule. Before. and Or before. An eighth of it was given away. So if it was something that was manufactured by the Triforce of Wisdom, he did not have the full power. Well, I mean, he did give it... To, um regardless so in your theory that the king of hyrule flooded hyrule who made the bubble ganon ganon wanted to keep hyrule for himself because it's all he wants so when the sea comes crashing down it is his magic that stops hyrule from being completely destroyed he holds back the sea with his power alone because the power of the triforce is being locked down by the master sword and it is his magic that is against the very forces of the gods i think that changes let's look at the lines after gandorf is dead yes well i mean the let's talk more about this when that happens okay so after the water starts coming down ganondorf has a complete fucking breakdown poor guy he has his whole big long laughter and he says... Who's Gan's voice actor? Oh, I'll look it up. Hold on. Get, get that man an Oscar. <laughs> Let's see. There's actually two voices of Ganondorf. Um, one of them was his voice actor in Twilight Princess and the Smash Brothers Brawl and uh, 4. The other was Ganondorf's voice actor in Ocarina of Time in Wind Waker in melee and the voice of demise in skyward sword who's also normally the voice of donkey kong huh let's see let's see 
Oh, good. Yeah, that's exactly what I want. You'll have to give me just a second while I look this up. The King's voice actor is pretty good, too. Although this game does not have what you would call full voice acting, it uses what it has really well. Yes. Yes. I prefer this sort of gibberish voicing. Yeah, the king talking when he's calling upon the gods is one of the best acted bits in the entire series. And I think that where they do that gibberish voice acting is actually what we would have preferred for the series going forward, but that wasn't the thing. So that's fine. The voice for Ganondorf here is, uh, let's see, you'll have to forgive me for mispronouncing this, is Takashi Nagasako. And uh, he's really good. He does it for real. And you can kind of hear his voice box trying to jump out during certain parts of that laughter. Yeah. And after he's done having his breakdown, Ganondorf says, this is foolishness. A future for you? And he hasn't turned around and looked at Link during all of this. You only see his back. And then Tetra's up and she says, what are you laughing at, Ganondorf? You're insane. And she's holding the Master Sword. And it's a good moment. Because this is the moment where Tetra regains some smidgen of her agency over herself and her place in the story. She's back to her old self. She's winking. Yeah. she She's no longer this timid, subdued creature that you left behind in Hyrule Castle. She is who she was. And she apologizes, saying that she overslept. And she also tells Link that it's time for them to say goodbye to this place that they have to return to their world above, to their ocean. (laughs) And Gandalf decides to murder the kids. He said he wouldn't, but, you know, he changed his mind. Yeah, this, even if you don't want to go with the idea that Ganondorf is lying to himself during his monologue, is the most damning thing in the entire game in terms of how good or understandable or sympathetic Ganondorf is because when what he wants is stripped away he turns around and he smiles and that smile is his real face and he says yes allow me to show you just what hope you have yeah it's it's a good shot with the because there's kind of a face on the back of Ganondorf's clothes that looks like a demon grinning super widely and when he turns around his face kind of matches that image yeah. See how much your precious Triforce is worth. Ooh. Oh, God. Oh, it's-, it's interesting that the Triforce just kind of goes up and away like it the Dragon off. Balls after the wish is made. Yeah. Uh, the Triforce is really good at reading the intents of witches, <laughs> I find. <laughs> because it's like the King of Hyrule's wish can't work properly if the Triforce is still around to be used by people like Ganon. So even if Ganon manages to live through this bit and the Triforce is trying genuinely hard to kill him in this moment, um, well, it, fuck it. It's not going to be there. It won't. The Triforce pieced out. Who knows where it went? It's out of the story. And this is a pretty Back fun boss to the fight. Heavens. Yeah, it's time for the ass whooping. And this this sequence, this fight with Ganondorf, I think a lot of people would still argue that this is the best final battle in the entire series. It's up there. Like, the series has some... Yeah, I'd probably say so. Yeah, see? The series has some really good final boss fights, but the couching of this one, the visuals of the ocean beginning to stream in, the bubble on the outside, the music as you're fighting with Ganondorf, you and Zelda actually fighting together for the first time in the entire series. It's all good shit. And the battle is divided into three separate parts. In the first part, you and 
I, I keep calling her Zelda in this, even though it's Tetra. But the reason that I keep calling her that is because we pull away from that identity after this sequence is over. But I'll keep calling her Tetra and I keep slipping on that. Basically, Link is having a sword fight with Ganondorf. And Tetra has taken Link's bow and is shooting light arrows at Ganondorf from various angles. And it's like a pretty regular fight at this point. Ganondorf is quick and he doesn't hit very hard but he hits fast enough that it's really difficult to respond to his attacks but if you catch him in certain bits you can counter him by jumping over him and smacking him in the back of the head or rolling behind him and stabbing him in the back and zelda will occasionally shoot him with a light arrow which stuns him long enough for you to run up and get a short combo off on him and that's how it goes for a little bit until about the fourth or fifth time that zelda shoots him with that light arrow and Ganondorf turns, and he looks over his shoulder at her. He's like, I'm about sick of this shit. And he ignores Link just long enough to jump over to where Zelda is, tosses his sword up into the air, and backhands her so hard she's just knocked fucking sprawling. And then he catches his sword. And it's like, goddamn, guy. And he starts to block things. Yes. It- you can't hit him from the front or the back. Pretty much the only way to hit him during this second sequence, this is the second part when Zelda is down, is for you to do counterattacks. Good thing counterattacks are pretty easy in this game. Yeah, they are. And you keep going like that for a while until you've managed to take down some more of his health. And then you see Zelda get back up and she's like, or Tetra get back up and she's like, I cannot believe that shit just happened to me. And she immediately starts trying to shoot Ganondorf. And suddenly... And this is the third stage, the most interesting stage to me. Nothing works anymore. Ganondorf knows how you're fighting, and nothing you do can touch him. If you do the counterattack or you roll behind him and try to stab him in the back, he will cross his swords over his shoulders behind him to block your attack. If you try to do the helm splitter where you jump over him, he will just hold a sword over his head and catch it there. Zelda tries to shoot him with a light arrow from behind, he'll jump over it. If he's in mid-jump trying to hit you with a jumping attack and she fires an arrow at him then, he will twist in mid-air. And it's just utterly impossible to hit him because now he has the measure of them and he has the experience. And there's nothing they can do to match up to his martial prowess. They will lose, given time. Except that... Tetra has a plan. Tetra's clever. And the idea is that, well, I'm shooting light arrows, and you have a mirror shield, so just, like, distract him for a second. She tries to explain this in a sort of roundabout way, like, get it? (laughs) (laughs) It's like, listen, I'm trying to tell you in a way that Ganondorf won't understand. I don't know why she'd think that would... But it works. It, it super works. She bounces a light arrow off the mirror shield, and it hits Ganondorf, and that is about the limit of how many... Keep in mind, these light arrows are able to kill any other enemy in the game in one shot, including bosses. And when Ganondorf gets hit by this sixth or seventh one, he staggers, and it's enough that when Link gets the opportunity, he jumps over him and rams the Master Sword directly into his fucking skull. It's interesting that even though it seemed like Ganon wanted to frame this like the Ganondorf fight in Ocarina, it ends up ending more similarly to the Ganon fight where he has the twin swords like Ganon. Link has to roll behind him and hit him from behind, and then he dies by getting stabbed in the head. Yeah. Yeah. And also, he didn't expect Zelda to participate in the fight. 
<laughs> that was his whole reasoning there, I think. Like, even the fact that she was there and unable to participate because she was unconscious was in keeping with how things were supposed to be going. And there's this great anecdote that I want to relate that came up during the second Nintendo Power podcast, where I think it was during their question period, and somebody asked um, Nate Bildorf, one of the um, people participating, to share a zelda memory or anecdote and who's uh bildorf bildorf is now the senior director of localization but mm-hmm. he was part of the localization team for wind waker he was one of the translators yes huh. and the story he related was that back when translating wind waker it was still set in a format where you basically get a text dump everything is out of order and then the translators would just translate as they go without having any sense of where in the game it went. And based on the builds, you wouldn't always have access to every moment. You'd have to play through a lot of different bits and some parts would freeze and some parts were locked. Um, so that he didn't notice or know um, when he was localizing the line, the wind, it is blowing. He didn't know the context for that. And one day he was playing through and he finally got to play some of the end sequences. And then he got the context for where that line comes up. And I think he described it as being struck like, oh my gosh, you know, nearly dropping the controller because it's an awesome moment. But also, oh my God, like, this is in our game. There is a person with a sword (laughs) embedded in their skull. And he spent the rest of the day trying to flag everyone else down does the esrb know about this just just because he's absolutely sure that this will bump the game into like a teen rating and totally screw everything up and he's frantically like playing this back to for other people or recording it and then sending it over to someone else because this was the time when you had to put that shit on vhs yeah and it was a huge panic for that day but ultimately everything was okay when wicker kept its e-rating yeah, it's quite a story, though. Yeah. Uh, I think HD got E10+. Plus. And I think this was one of the last big games before they introduced E10+, Plus, along with uh, Smash Brothers Melee. Huh. And it was kind of cited as one of the ones of, mm, maybe we should have a middle rating between E and T. That's good. Yes. Yeah, He Nate does say, you know, nowadays it would probably be a, definitely be an E10. But back then it didn't exist. So, um, Gandorf has his dramatic line. Oh, yeah. The wind, it is blowing. And then he is covered in stone, sealed away with the Master Sword as the key. Master Sword's good at that stuff. Now, there's two different ways to read this. Oh, I, I want to read the Wind Waker HD ESRB rating. <laughs> During one boss battle, players stab an evil creature's forehead with a sword, turning him to stone. He's not a creature. He's a person. People are creatures. <laughs> he's a monster. Yeah, he's he's a beast. He's a beastie man. Was that what they argued in order to keep the E rating? Probably. Is this like the whole X Men are you know not humans <laughs> <laughs> argument? Yeah. So they're not uh, dolls. They're uh, different kind of action figures or some stupid thing. Whatever the hell that was. Yeah. Wow, that's a hell of an ESRB description there, Crystal. I'm glad you looked that up. An evil creature. 
That's as spoiler-free as it's possible to be. Crystal, you read this sequence as the stone is a metaphor. Ganon's dead, right? I don't know if I'd still stick by that. I mean, I do think Ganon's definitely dead. Okay, so... Uh, I don't know what the hell the stone is. Well, I mean, you you took Ganon as being ghostly in this game, right? Uh Uh-huh. So whether or not you read Ganon as being killed by the Master Sword being shoved into his head, it's plain that he's sealed away in some way. Yes. Assumedly forever, because now he's at the bottom of the ocean. Did you... Yeah, if he was only semi-dead before, now he is as gone as he's ever going to be. Yeah. Did you ever see that um, Breath of the Wild fan comic where one panel is Link reaching for the Master Sword, and the second panel is Ganon with the Master Sword still in his forehead, bursting out of the ground, like, aha! I have not seen that. That's a really great comic. Ah, oh, damn it. Okay, well, I'll try and find it after the podcast so you can see it, but it's strong. It's the strongest. Maybe you can find it on your phone while we're doing it. But, uh, yeah. It's interesting the way the stone forms around him. It's not just that, like, his model is changing textures but it's actually going all the way around his body and his clothes he's much larger at the end than he was at the beginning so it it, it definitely seems like he's sealed and seal i think it's one of those things where killing ganon doesn't work sealing him works if only temporarily but this is uh now he doesn't have the triforce of power he lost it no he does not and After this particular sequence, when Ganondorf is encased in stone, the King of Hyrule appears and basically tells the kids that they did a very good job, but this is the end of things. Uh, I might as well... This is the actual best speech in the game. Okay. Uh, this is the this is the good villain speech. Oh. <laughs> okay. My children... The music and the writing here is uh, Chef Kiss. Yeah, Chef Kiss. My children, listen to me. I have lived regretting the past. And I have faced those regrets. If only I could do things over again. Not a day of my life has gone by without my thoughts turning to my kingdom of old. I have lived bound to Hyrule. His reference to his life and to living is why I think he might not be completely a ghost. In that sense, I was the same as Ganondorf. But you, I want you to live for the future. There may be nothing left for you. But despite that, you must look forward and walk a path of hope, trusting that it will sustain you when darkness comes. Farewell. This is the only world that your ancestors were able to leave you. Please, forgive us. Goddamn. Tetra says, wait, you could you could come with us. We have a ship. We can find it. We will find it. The land that will be the next Hyrule. So, and then the king stares at her, and he has this very sad expression, but it's contemplative too. He says, ah, but child, that land will not be Hyrule. It will be your land. He smiles. He does smile at that. And it's the best smile in the whole fucking series. Um, And then the ocean crashes down. Can I say that I love that Zelda, that Tetra effectively says, fuck you, no, it's new Hyrule. Yeah. (laughs) That comes up. But this is a good speech. Yes, yes. But also, you know, new Hyrule. I say it's going to be Hyrule. (laughs) Fuck you, old man. It's definitely kind of, it reminds me of Sunny and MGS4, where everyone in that game is like, we have to wash away our sins for the next generation. We must destroy the whole system. And Sunny's like, well, I mean, we can keep part of it. I mean, I'm the next generation. I can make my own decisions. Put me in a fucking dress, will you? (laughs) So, yeah, I mean, looking over this speech, 
and him talking about living regretting the past and if only he could do things over again. This is why I think he was the person that created the bubble. I think that maybe on... Okay, that's a very valid read of it. Another part of my read of this is that when the the whole thing doesn't come crashing down until Ganondorf is down. Hmm. My read on that is that Ganondorf is using his power to push back against the Triforce itself, and it's winning. But in that moment, he is fighting Link and the Master Sword and Zelda and the Triforce all at once. And it's a fight he can't win, but he's still fighting it. And it's not until he is taken out of the picture that the wish is allowed to come true. Ganondorf, on his own power, pushes back not just against the weight of the sea, but the force of the Triforce itself. Otherwise, should have come down all at once. Um, I think it can come down slowly, much like the... The island did in Skyward Sword. But it didn't come down slowly is the thing. Because after he says it... Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, the timing of it coming down, I think, was definitely intentional. I think what you said before about the Triforce being very good at reading the intent of wishes is uh, what's going on here. So it wants to make sure that Ganon is down. And it wants to make sure that the king has said goodbye. Huh. Well, that is a valid reading of it, though... I still like my reading of it where it's Ganon pushing against the sea because all of it comes together pretty nicely, I think. You like your epic-willed people. I like people pushing against the gods, yes. That's one of my favorite aspects of Ganondorf in that he's a monster and he pushes against the gods. It's like, yeah, get him, get him, get him. Anyway, um, he lives his regrets. Well, then why would you like Ganondorf, who is... <laughs> I mean, Ganondorf's power is mostly portrayed as being derived from the Triforce of Power, not from his own self. Not so much in Wind Waker. In Wind Waker, he's this horror show who shows up without the power of the Triforce and destroys islands and almost murders gods. And, you know, he's got this bit here where you can easily read the scene as him pushing against the very engine of creation and losing the battle. But, God, he's still fighting. It's really cool. It's a really cool way to read it. This is what they call Fanon. <laughs> um, so the ocean floods down. Link and Tetra are in bubbles and Tetra is carried up. And Link swims down to towards the king. Reaching for him. Reaching for him. And the king raises his hand, but in farewell. And then he lets it drop and he looks down as Link is lifted away and the darkness closes in on him and Hyrule is gone. It's good shit. God, that might be the single best shot in the entire game as the dark blue closes in and obscures your sight of Daphnis Nohanson Hyrule, who, if he was not gone before, is surely gone now. I remember being really sad by this moment or the whole ending of Wind Waker because you got the sense of how strongly the king valued his kingdom or loved his kingdom. And as a player, I wasn't ready to let go of Hyrule either. Right. It was only like the second major console release of a game that took place sort of in Hyrule since we started playing. We were so hoping to see more. Yeah, it's a really bold take to say, fuck Hyrule, fuck the Triforce, fuck the Master Sword, fuck Ganondorf. It's all being washed away. It's over. And I wish they had stuck to it. I don't, but as an example of this one story, I think it works perfect. It is so good. God damn it, so good. Anything else we need to say about this particular bit? Nope. Well, now we're above the ocean. Now, hold on. <laughs> when he talks about how he's sorry that this is the only 
world that their ancestors were able to leave them. Um, Alnima has made no bones about how on some level he makes Zelda games for his children or his son in particular. And that when he was writing for Wind Waker, he often thought about his son. So it's hard not to read this sequence in Wind Waker as being about the anxieties of the world being passed on to children. And reading it now, like Wind Waker is in many ways a story about... it's It's an environmentalist story in a lot of ways, even just down to the fact of the rising seas. And it gets more relevant over time rather than less as the failures become more and more pronounced. And that's it. That's just what I was thinking about. I think this game actually, if this game had come out in 2018, it might be even better received. Uh, In terms of its environmentalist message? Yeah, and in its terms of washing away the old Hyrule. Yeah, I could see that. So you're thinking that if the themes of Wind Waker had been played on in 2017 or 2018, that would have aligned very well with the way that Breath of the Wild was supposed to work in terms of how the story is constructed. Do you think we would have been more accepting of the cell shading and art design? Um, Certainly. Yeah, probably, but then the cell shading would not have become nearly as much of a thing in video games if Wind Waker hadn't paved the way for that. Yeah, it really paved. I mean, there there were lots of games that were cell shaded before that, probably the most uh, noteworthy being Jet Set Radio, but um, Wind Waker really made it mainstream and made people understand that lightings in that way could be very effective. So it's difficult to imagine what games would look like visually without the Wind Waker setting the tone in that way for that particular method. Um, Yeah, this is the game that really starts Zelda as a series as being a bunch of games about how our fathers fail us. Because the King of Hyrule very much failed in everything that he sought to do. And it was up to the generations that came long after who he treated with poorly, especially Tetra, to fix the messes that he made. And he was able to come in and do something right at the end when everything seemed to be lost because it was his mistakes that allowed Ganondorf to gain power. It was his inability to fight. It was his need to, if not necessarily, preserve the kingdom. If you take Ganondorf as not being just a person, but emblematic of the desires and the... How am I trying to put this? Ganondorf is... A disaster. Ganondorf, a calamity. A calamity. Ganondorf is things and problems that need to be addressed, but flooding Hyrule was only ever a staying action. It was only ever meant to slow Ganondorf down, and the hope was that in the future someone else would be able to take care of it. And that is the ultimate failure of fathers in the Zelda series, not being able to do what has to be done to ensure that your children are as provided for as to be. Which is in itself a very paternalistic view. It is, but I mean, like, as paternalistic views go, it's probably the most constructive you can manage to conjure up. That's all I got. Yeah. Anyway, now we're above the ocean. You're above the ocean. And Tetra is Tetra again. Tetra's back to normal. And there's a flapping of wings, and you see that it's a Komali. Yeah. And you turn around, and there's the pirate ship. And all the pirates are there. And Errol, your sister, is there in her new skull getup. 
Yeah, she's got a nice, pretty pirate dress. And Medley and Makar are there, significantly. That is significant. I guess they stopped to save them from the temples along the way. Otherwise, it would have been flooded. That'd be bad. Um, yeah. I mean, Master Sword doesn't need to be maintained anymore. Yeah, but the temple's being under in Hyrule. They're probably destroyed. No, no, no. I mean, I I don't... Was the bubble covering the entirety of Hyrule? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, the Master Sword... I guess when it's only keeping Ganondorf in place, it doesn't need to sparkle with the power to repel evil. But yeah, it's done, and everyone's free, and everybody can go back to their goddamn lives. They are free from the shackles of the past, and are able to be who they were before all of this started, because the problem has been addressed and the past laid to rest. And I think it's significant that Tetra returns to herself. This is the full restoration of who she is, and her appearance symbolizes that. But at the same time, it's also significant that Link remain in the hero's clothing. Well, he has actual clothes, not magical clothes. Whether or not he's chained to the past, Tetra is not Zelda. Her blood says that she is, and the King of Hyrule said that she was, and Ganondorf, actually, I don't think he ever called her Zelda. He just called her this girl. But Tetra... No, he does. Okay, it doesn't fucking matter. I'm just pointing it out. Tetra remains who she is. And she hasn't changed significantly. The world tried to change her, but insistently she remained herself. Link, without the chains of the past, and without dealing with the failures of their fathers, is still the hero. And he will never not be the hero. I guess if you want to take this approach after the credits... And when they are sailing out, you can point out that Link is still in the hero's garb. He doesn't change back to his PJ. I just thought it was significant in the context of this one because the image of Tetra coming up and being Tetra and Link coming up and being Link is... It felt significant when I watched it. I think it feels significant if he decides to keep the hero's tunic too. Yes, that is also significant. But I mean, for this, sh- there's there's symbols in this shot is what okay, I'm saying. Okay, okay. They break back to th- this idea of coming back from the old world as if it was a dream. Because for everyone except for the two of them, it might as well have never existed. Yeah. Well, I guess nobody else. Well, the sages know. They know. And but- Errol knows. She might have even seen Ganondorf at some point. But for everyone else, no. Not really. And with the problem solved, I think probably the sea becomes something more manageable. Maybe there will be more fish in it. With Ganon's influence removed, the world has to be better. And a fresh wind blows, and Grandma and Errol and the entire outset island is there to wave goodbye, and Link and the pirates and Tetra set sail. And this is another Link for whom adventure does not stop. Yes. Oh, I love it. It's such a good ending. It's such a... Is it a perfect ending? I think it might be a perfect fucking ending. Yeah, it's a perfect ending to the Legend of Zelda series, but then they made more. <laughs> oh, I see what we're doing. I just meant a perfect ending to this game. Yeah, also that, I agree. Okay, good. Fantastic. Great. Great. It's weird that... Oh, but could you imagine if Twilight Princess came out in 2003 and this game came out 10 years later? If this game was Breath of the Wild? Yeah. So would it play like Wind Waker or would it play like Breath of the Wild? No, it'd just be Wind Waker. I don't know if we would view its um, particulars as kindly in the year of our Lord 2017 as we did in 2003. Well, that's why I said 10 years later, so 2013. It'd be the uh, the uh, Link Between Worlds. Oh. Or it came Everyone out at like the game. HD time. Oh, okay. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, because Wind Waker HD came out in like 2012, 2013. Yeah, okay. If this was the Wii U exclusive Zelda game, ooh, ooh, that would have hurt it. Well, I mean, it didn't sell super fucking great on the GameCube in the first place. It's all pretty good. No, it did not. Because <laughs> people wanted Twilight Princess. They did want Twilight Princess, which remains, though it won't be for long, the most popular and best-selling initial release of any Zelda title. Uh, Damn, girl, you ain't gotta be that open in your disgust. It's, I mean, I like Twilight Princess. It's okay. It's a, <laughs> Monica enjoys Twilight Princess more Every time she replays it, she actually used to treat with it a lot more harshly back in the day, but she doesn't have as much patience when people talk about it being the platonic Zelda. Yeah, it's not, it's particularly not a good follow-up to Wind Waker for several reasons. It is the subject of future episodes where we'll have plenty of opportunity mm-hmm. to talk about it and its themes and all of its weirdness. It's a weird fucking game, but this game. What a good game. God. There's... Wind Waker's a good game. Wind Waker is one of the best games. Full stop. I love it so much. It's got its quirks, but... I... Yeah. Man. Immediately after it came out, people stopped with the cell dying. Yeah. Well, not as much. Well, then there was, you know, I guess some people who still joked, but it was like, play this game. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I think it made a believers out of a lot of people, except for that one person we kept having arguments with who insisted that the game was stupid and that the ocean looked like blue milk because of its opacity. He finally had a chance to talk about the blue milk. Oh, man, that, bl- that blue milk argument. It's been like 15, 20 years. It hasn't been 20 years. It has been almost 15. But if you're out there listening to us right now, I really doubt you are. I still remember that argument, and we're different people now. And holy shit, I'm glad we're different people because that argument, I, would, <laughs> I wouldn't want to have it again today. The blue milk person. Yeah, the blue milk person. Is Wind Waker better or worse than Ocarina of Time? I've thought about this. Really? I've thought about <laughs> my explanation. <laughs> what? Go on. So much of what makes Wind Waker good is because it draws from and is in an answer to Ocarina of Time. It's not, I mean, I'm not going to say it's, it's lesser than Ocarina of Time for that reason, but... Definitely, if you strip away its connections as and kept it as a standalone, I don't think I don't think one's enjoyment would be as high as it is. I think Ocarina of Time is better. Full stop. What's your reasoning there? I think Ocarina of Time. Let's see. What well, first? I'll start with what Wind Waker does better than Ocarina of Time. It's got better graphics. It's got a better story. It's got better uh, cutscenes. Ocarina of Time, I think, has a better overworld and better dungeons and better items. Um, I could see that. Do you find the experience? It also has more, uh, more, more different types of characters. How do you mean? Because Wind Waker only has the Rito and the uh, Koroks, whereas Ocarina of Time introduced like six different groups of people. That's true. I think the way that I look at it is, um, and I held this as being essentially true about all the Zelda games that came after Ocarina of Time, is that in some ways Ocarina of Time doesn't match up as well to the other games. But Ocarina of Time was a very pure experience, where if you compare the other games to it, you'd have to include caveats that might affect your enjoyment of them. Where it's like, in Wind Waker, Wind Waker's great, 
But at the same time, sometimes it feels like there's holes where content was supposed to have been, and maybe the sailing's a little bit slow. Where Ocarina of Time, I don't think that its highs are quite as high as in Wind Waker, but it also doesn't really have any caveats. It Oh, I remember how I put this. It, Ocarina ain't got no cruft in it. What's cruft? Cruft, um, read it as bullshit that you got to get through. I guess you could look it up on your dictionary.com. But uh, yeah, Wind Waker has uh, problems with its design, I think, or elements to its design that might keep people from enjoying it in the same way. I'm not going to say it's better or worse than Ocarina of Time, but it's really good. I really like it. I would say Wind Waker has the best story of a Zelda game. Yeah, okay. I can respect that. I'm not necessarily sure that I agree, but uh, I think as we've established up to this point, I have a tendency to read Zelda stories a little bit differently from the average person. It's a legitimate pick. It's a very good pick, actually. Would you say that it has a better story than Majora's Mask? Yes, I would. Why is that? Hmm. Now, keep in mind... Actually, you know what? Let me think about this a little more. Okay. Because when I say story, I don't mean uh, the collection of events that happen within it. I mean the entirety of the narrative, the character motivations and all sorts of stuff. No, I agree too. I guess what I'm thinking of is that so much of the good in Majora's Mask is, I guess, kind of incidental to the main story, as it were. But that's also kind of... Even though I think that is also very good. It's enriching in that way, isn't it? The way that the story is much more decentralized. It is, but at that point, I think I'd use a different word than story. Maybe, like, world? I think that when most hmm. people say story in video games, they refer primarily to its plot and the particular ways that the plot intersects with certain characters. But for me, story is the entire kit and caboodle taken together. Like, the world is part of the storytelling in many Zelda games, and an essential one, I think, especially in the case of Majora's Mask or Breath of the Wild or even Wind Waker to a lesser extent. Okay, I guess how I put it is the things I like about Majora's Mask are a lot of things that you probably would not see if you searched Majora's Mask the movie on YouTube. Yeah, okay, that's fair, but I mean, that's kind of true about a lot of Zelda games. Like, the watching Wind Waker, the film, doesn't capture a lot of what makes it special. You'd never see Makar doing his little helicopter flying or his waddling around with his jingle jangles uh, if you were just watching Wind Waker, the movie. Okay, so Wind Waker has a second best story of a Zelda game. <laughs> oh. has, okay, it has the best story of a mainline Zelda game. Oh, okay. Well, we, we can have the mainline argument forever and ever and ever. But okay. So you were basically hoping there would never be another mainline Zelda game again, according to your definition of mainline. Well, well, I think my definition of mainline probably would not have existed at this point. Ah, uh, okay. So it, your ideal scenario would have been mainline Zelda being something else. Yeah, I think if if Twilight Princess and Skyward Sword and A Link Between Worlds and Breath of the Wild had never existed, my definition of what a mainline Zelda is would probably be different. What if Ganon and Hyrule hadn't been in all the games between Wind Waker and Breath of the Wild, and Breath of the Wild was a return to Hyrule completely? That would be very interesting. I think it would have changed our relationship with that game even more than otherwise. Is it time for questions? Yeah. Are you, are you all ready to go to the questions? Yeah. I guess we can do questions. I just like talking about the Wind Waker, you know? Okay. Wind Waker's a real good game. I like talking about the Wind Waker. Five Is five a record? For episodes? 
Yeah, before this, Crystal and I. Oh, for sure. Before this, Crystal and I would do recordings uh, all in one sitting. So the longest episodes only came up to about three. Was it four for Majora's Mask or three? It was three for Majora's Mask. Okay, so it only came out to three because we couldn't sit for longer than five or six hours at a time. Okay. That made our episodes much more fast-paced, and I think that if we were recording according to the old format, we probably would have done Wind Waker in three as well. But I like this more relaxed pace. Questions? I'm sorry. So where do we start? Have you got everything open, Crystal? Uh Uh-huh. Okay, so it's just the Google Doc and your post on Twitter, right? Yes, and there's one in the emails. Oh, shit. Oh, man. Okay. I will read the first one from our document. Comes from Jasmine Marsh. She asks, how did the cereal taste? She's referring to the Legend of Zelda cereal that came out in the 80s, I believe. I never got the opportunity to eat it. Me neither. Let me look up what was in it. I, I imagine it's basically just Lucky Charms. I think there was a berry-flavored one. cereal system. Ooh, berry flavor. Wasn't there? Yeah, there's berry-flavored characters and items. There's links, hearts, keys, boomerangs, and shields. Wasn't there a promo recently where... Some cereal boxes had amiibo. Yeah, the Mario cereal. Yeah? Yeah, it was basically an amiibo. The Mario cereal box was an amiibo. But a Zelda one? Or am I just dreaming that part up? You dreamed that part up. Okay. I, if Yeah, I think it was just Mario. They should put out a new uh, Zelda cereal, though, because Breath of the Wild is the most popular, fastest-selling Zelda game in series history. How would you design a Zelda cereal? Oh, God. I guess they'd have to go back and figure out what makes Zelda cereal... The most uh, essential elements of it. That's what I would do. Go back to the you beginning. Wouldn't, no, it, you wouldn't just do Lucky Charms. That's no. You gotta do something special. Right? No, no, not Lucky Charms. Uh, besides, the way you're describing it, it sounds like the old one may have been more like tricks. Honey bunches of Triforce. Oh, piss off! That would be perfect. Okay, yeah. It doesn't have to be fun shapes. Wait, yes, it does. This is for children. Honey bunches of Triforce. Oh, so it's like oats and stuff that are pressed into little Triforce pieces? Yes. Is it like Waffle Crisp? Sure. Oh, yeah, I love Waffle Crisp. Or I did, many, many years ago. Do they still make Waffle Crisp? Probably. I mean, we don't get most of the cereals up here in Canada, so I have to ask you, the re- the American resident, whether or not they still make all th- all those cereals. Yeah, Waffle Crisp still exists. Okay, cool. That's good. So the Zelda cereal would have an included plastic spoon with the handle that's kind of shaped like the Master Sword. Okay. Oh, oh, oh. Uh, d- d- does it does it change color when it's cold in the milk? Oh, yeah, most definitely. It, it glows sparkling. when it's cold in the milk. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, and the Triforce is the basic cereal pieces. And then, uh, I don't know. Uh, they could just be Triforces. That's all it really needs. Or how about they're all well, rupees? I feel like you have to something a little more. Oh, rupees. Different colors of rupees. Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. Rupees are good. No, no, no. Monica's is saying the entire thing is like fruity pebbles, only it's all rupees. And maybe sometimes okay. buried in there, you'll find like one Triforce. Oh, fuck. And it's got to be like bigger and shinier. I can't eat. If food can be shinier. I can't eat gluten and I would eat this cereal. <laughs> it's perfect. It it's... probably tastes awful. Oh, shut up. It'd be wonderful. Oh, it'd be pure sugar. By the way, I don't think it was mentioned. All right, let's move on to the next question. If you want to send us a question, you can send us send it to us on Twitter, at ArcaneCrystal or at CamRider. And for longer form questions, you can send them to bookofmedorapodcast at gmail.com. That is bookofmedorapodcast at gmail.com. 
Thank you for catching me on that because I completely forgot to say that. Sorry. <clears throat> so now we have to finally get to Rawl's question. Oh. They've been waiting for quite a while here. Sorry, Rawl. I'll read it. Okay. Does the king's wish for Lincoln Tetra to have a future while washing away Hyrule counteract the curse of demise? We don't see Ganon returning post Wind Waker, but we do see Maladus later on. Was the curse lifted? Did it just eliminate Gandorf with the rest of Hyrule? What's your take? Who are you asking? Either of you? <laughs> Both of you? You, you first, Crystal. <laughs> hmm. You know what? I'm going to say yes, it does. Really? Yeah. I think Demise's curse is specific to the land of Hyrule. And if there is no land of Hyrule, there is no curse. Oh. Was his curse made when Hyrule actually was nope. even named, though? No. The, well, the kingdom did not exist, but the surface on which it would be formed did. Ah. I think that it probably didn't wash away the curse. Maladus is there, but I mean, the king was probably not aware of the curse and didn't think that, hey, I better make a very, very blanket statement about all bad things. Those like you, those who share the blood of the goddess and the spirit of the hero, they are eternally bound to this curse. An incarnation of my hatred shall ever follow your kind dooming them to wander a blood-soaked sea of darkness for all time. Now that's an interesting line, blood-soaked sea of darkness. Well, regardless, it is not on the land. Well, I mean, this is all moot because the curse does not exist on this timeline. Yeah, I mean, that's my personal read on it. But it's also interesting to think that that demise essentially predicted the flood. Um, hmm. Well, there's certain ways that you can read demises existing outside of time, similar to the way that Hylia exists outside of time, because the way that he perceives time is very strange, because time is fucking weird in Skyward Sword. But we will undoubtedly get to that. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't read Demise's Curse as applying to this timeline in the first place, but if you do, it's really easy to read Maladus as being another incarnation of Demise's hatred. It looks exactly like Gandorf. The, the the train the yeah the the badass spirit train the oh god what the hell is it called I'm gonna call it the calamity train choo choo yeah the calamity train it does look exactly like Ganondorf so no I don't think that it actually washed away Demise's curse if Demise's curse exists on this timeline it will continue and the king pushing the children away from Hyrule is himself doing so because he doesn't understand that there is no one way to stop evil. You can stop Ganondorf, but he is not the only threat that will ever face a kingdom, and that may be another one of the king's failures. Next question. Oh, I'm sorry. Mm, I want to talk a little more about this, because oh. I'm inclined to, to consider Demo uh, Ma consider Maladus completely unrelated to anything related to Hyrule. Really? Um, but I also, thinking more about this blood-soaked sea line... What if it's kind of like Thor Ragnarok, and the destruction of Hyrule is the ultimate fulfillment of the curse? But at the same time, it's not really about Hyrule, the curse. It's the blood of the goddess and the spirit of the hero. Yeah, there's nothing right? about Hyrule in particular. So, I, I, so the curse is specifically on Link and Zelda. It seems to be that way. Now, if there was a Thor Ragnarok mm. moment where they realized that their continuation had to stop, then... That would be one thing. Is it? Do you read Demise's line as being about Wind Waker? Because I just took it as being some, like, imaginative visualization of the curse itself. 
blood-soaked sea of... It's really hard not to after thinking about Wind Waker for several hours and then reading this line. Okay, you know what? That's absolutely fair. Uh, I'm trying to look at what the Japanese line is. Oh, okay. Well... The phrasing of that makes me feel like it's probably a very literal translation of the Japanese because it's a little clunky, I think, personally. Oh. Sorry, translator. Well, ain't nothing for it. So we basically come down as I'm saying no... Crystal saying yes. Monica's saying, what was it? I was no. You were no, it's not even on this timeline. Well, yeah. I mean, Crystal says it's not on this timeline either, but treating with the question as if Demise's curse affects this timeline. Uh, No. I'm also on team. Uh, I'm reading an alternate translation on ZeldaUniverse.com. Oh, Lord. They say, this hatred and grudge, its evolution shall forever painfully wander across the blood-stained dark sea along with you low lives forever that is monica i'm going to I revise my statement localizer you did okay yeah <laughs> I lo- low life is a great phrase i just you know that um oh what is the name of that guy on twitter and youtube who makes all those fun jokes about anime and anime fans and video games and translations the you're gonna have to narrow it down <laughs> oh damn it the korean guy Korean background? I, I I honestly don't know what his background is, but he's the dude with the... Oh, he's t- Pro-ZD? Pro-ZD! Yeah, Pro-ZD. And uh, you know that particular video of his where he does the official translation versus fan translation, and it's like Naruto yelling at Sasuke? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that partic- that's what this makes me think of. Oh, come on, that was a really good video. Yeah, no, he's great. An incarnation of my fucking hatred shall forever follow you stupid bitches. <laughs> Crystal, that's horrible. Shame on you. When's what's the first Zelda where they say fuck? When's that going to be? I never. Maybe you don't think they'll ever do that. We haven't even gotten a damn out of it. What if what if Nintendo? What if the Switch Two bombs and Nintendo gets bought by Microsoft? In that case, maybe. <laughs> but will it really be Zelda anymore? Sure. Well, regardless, should, should we move on to another question? Okay. Uh, where do you want to go next? On the Twitter questions? Yeah, let's go on the Twitter questions. Okay. Uh, let's see. This next question comes from Cass Morgan. Is the land the Koroks went on to raise from the ocean the new Hyrule from Spirit Tracks? Pretty definitively not, I think. Yeah, I think it's it's a much larger continent that is discovered by Tetra and Link. The Koroks would still need a lot of time to pull things out of the ocean. Yeah, the Koroks made Lordran. <laughs> right, yes, Lordran. That's what we were getting toward. But uh, New Hyrule is actually discovered relatively soon after the end of Wind Waker, I think. Or at least it's implied to be that way. Yeah, because yeah. the stained glass window has Tetra looking like herself. Right. God, I love that there's a whole country, basically an entire continent, that's just founded by a literal pirate. And that she named it New Hyrule. Fuck yeah. you, King. <laughs> Fuck you, old man. They'll let they'll uh, have a Zelda game with the word "fuck" in it when they let me write the script. Oh no! Oh, you're making me change my mind on that. What 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 what's your take on it, Crystal? Yeah, no, the New Hyrule is another place that got colonized by Tetra and Link. Okay, so do, do we think that the Koroks ever finished bringing Hyrule up out of the sea? They're gonna keep probably. At it. If that's the case, are the Koroks more powerful than the Triforce? 
I don't think they're bringing stuff out mm. of the sea as in they're bringing old Hyrule out. They're bringing new stuff. Well, you don't just make new stuff. Yeah. They're like coral. I don't know if that's how that works. They're like coral. <laughs> okay. It's basically coral. Uh, I think you're up next, Crystal. Okay. Uh, this comes from Chum Personable. I'm assuming you've seen the concept art from Hyrule Historia of Wind Waker Link originally being designed to grow up over the course of the game into a more regularly proportioned human shape. And I want to ask if you think that would have been really cool or really creepy in the style. Is that what it said in Historia? Because I thought that was just an alternative uh, before they decided Link would be a kid design. Or like they, I have not seen this concept art, actually. I, they do have one in there that shows what adult Link would look like in the Wind Waker style, but I don't think it was indicative that Link was supposed to grow up at some point. I think you could sort of tell how he would look like based on the Hero of Time statue. It wouldn't be that weird. It would be a little weird, but everything in Wind Waker style is a little weird. I think you could probably get used to it, but yeah, it might be a little bit creepy at first. Yeah, I prefer Kid Link, and I actually wish they did another game with Kid Link. I think we'll end up getting another game with Kid Link. That'll probably happen. That isn't a handheld? Yeah, yeah. I mean, another console game. They seem pretty married to Adult Link. Oh, maybe that's true. But I guess they're the same things now. All the Links are basically kids. You 17, you still a child, I listeners. Guess... <laughs> I mean, Breath of the Wild Link is a grown man. Breath of the Wild Link is 17 tops. He a baby. Well, no, now hold on. He was already captain of the Royal Guard by the time he got assigned to be Zelda's bodyguard. He drew the Master Sword at like 13. Wasn't he beating adults at like No, six, I think I think four, Breath of the Wild four. Link's like 25. No, no, Same no. age as Mario. We, we, if we try really hard on this crystal, once you play the Breath of the Wild DLC, I think we can actually work out a timeline for how old Link is supposed to be. But like... Link has been beating up adults in combat since he was four years old. Literally. That's Explicitly. not a, That's not a joke. That's in the text. And I still think he's a baby child. Wee baby child. Getting back to the question, though, I think that an, an older Link would probably have things to say to Ganondorf in his monologuing and wouldn't be giving his, you know, shocked face. So it wouldn't be as enjoyable. So it's good that he was a little baby. Yeah. I, I think that Link being so tiny is an essential element to it, and him growing up would have felt really weird because adults don't look as good animated in a style. I think that's part of why you never see Ganondorf's legs. Or the kings. Right, because actually seeing their legs moving would take away a lot of their gravitas. <laughs> no, seriously. And they float everywhere. Yeah. Well, you can sort of see Ganon's legs moving behind his robes, but it's an implied movement, so that's fine. Yeah, if you kind of imagine the silhouette of Ganon's legs when you're looking at his robes it is very silly yeah he's people used to make jokes about how Wind Waker Ganondorf is really fat but he's not actually fat he has an enormous barrel shaped chest and real tiny stubby legs and it would look weird because Ganon's legs are super muscular and in this art style I don't know how that would translate at all him wearing robes may have been the only way to make him look not ridiculous in this game maybe adult Link would have to wear robes too be a Jedi. Are we uh, skipping the question from Tank? Uh, no, we can read that. I think this uh, page is giving the tweets out of order. Oh, oh, because 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 the way it was laid out for me, Tanks came immediately after Kaz's. I'll read Tanks. Oh, is laid out differently for me. Weird. Tank asks. Twitter's a bad website. Tank <laughs> asks, 
Do you think it's time for another home console Zelda game in the Toon style? What other post-disaster versions of Hyrule would you like to see? Huh. Well, I mean, Breath of the Wild kind of already is like an evolution of the Toon style as is. Skyward Sword was sort of evolved from Wind Waker, and Breath of the Wild definitely exists on the same continuum. It's got the cell shading and everything. It's just a very different kind of cartoon. It's it's not the same, I don't think. But also, I, I don't want to see another game in the Toon style. And I also kind of want them to get away from the Skyward Sword, Breath of the Wild style, which I do think are in a continuum. Um, I'd rather have each new game in a new style. I think Breath of the Wild's different enough from Skyward Sword that it counts. But yeah, I think I agree. Treating with the question as is, uh, the tune style is definitely its own thing. And I think that them using it as a crutch for so long on the handheld side created this expectation that they could be able to return to it over and over. And I don't think that's actually good for the series. Like... We got this game, the Four Swords games, the DS games. All of them look very similar to each other in terms of their art style. And then Triforce Heroes did it again. And that was only 2014. It is a little bit limiting. Yeah, in its way. What about the second half of that question? What other post-disaster versions of Hyrule would you like to see? Snow? Snowmageddon? You want to see Snowmageddon? No. Oh. (laughs) That would be just a lot of ice brick puzzles. And I don't mind ice brick puzzles, but ice bricks. Breath of the Wild is also post-apocalyptic. I, I actually think that most Zelda games are post-apocalyptic as fuck. Like, Skyward Sword is definitely a post-apocalypse. You're just living on an island above where the apocalypse happened. Mm, that's true. Um, I, I don't know if themed post-apocalypses are really something that I need out of the series. Like, a lot of people go into Zelda games knowing exactly what they want out of it. Like, they want it to play like such and such a game, or they want it to look like such and such a game. There is a not not insignificant contingent of players at a certain point who said, without irony, why don't they just give everyone what they actually want and just make Zelda Dark Souls? And those people are criminals. I like being surprised by Zeldas. Yeah. I think that's the message yeah. that you really want to convey. Yeah. Instead of calling... Some of our dear listeners, criminals. I'm sure that none of our listeners ever said that. And if they did, they are criminals. But, you know, the surprise. What if they made that Valley of the Deluge game? Valley of the Deluge? Which, which game is that? Yeah. It, it was a, a fake Zelda leak from like 2004 that uh, presented Twilight Princess as a prequel to Wind Waker set right before the flood with a steampunk Hyrule. Uh, I don't think I'd be very huge into that one, but you never know. The thing is, I like being surprised by Zelda, and I go into each game without particular desires. And I find that if you go into it without desires, and you allow yourself to experience the games for what they are, rather than for what you want them to be, you have a much better time with it. It's my... It should make Fallout, but Hyrule. Oh, okay. Um, they could do that. They've got enough robots now. Jesus. No, no, thank you. No. What if? Why would you ever say such a thing? What if the Sheikah invented nuclear weapons? They did. No, they didn't. Do you see what happened to he to Hebra Peak? No, that was a meteor. A meteor. A meteor turned one side of the mountain into glass and left the other side of it completely untouched. It was a big meteor. It was like some kind of laser or something. Is that like from a satellite? No, from one of the divine beasts probably okay at least that's how monica reads it yep 
That's not the same as a, as a nuclear bomb, though. Okay, it's not literally a nuke, but if you can cause destruction on that scale and you have this giant psionically controlled mech that can shoot death lasers, it might as well be the equivalent of a nuke. The Breath of the Wild episodes are going to go on for a while when we get back to that game. There's so much crap to talk about. Yep. How did we manage to get only an hour and a half episode out of that before? I wasn't I here. <laughs> a bipedal nuclear walking tank. No. No, 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 no. Don't you dare. That's for the other podcast. Our special Metal Gear only podcast. Okay. Next question from Jasmine. Is it fucked up the way the reversal of fortunes happens to those on Windfall Island? Also, what decorations do you generally plonk down any everywhere? Do you think the game would have been served better with alternate routes for the Triforce Maps translation? These are great questions. Yeah, those are... Hmm. Is it fucked up the way the reversal of fortunes happens to those on Windfall Island? Um. Yes. I mean, it's fucked up, but it's also hilarious. I think it's fucked up in that neither father really learns their lesson. That's part of what makes it hilarious. That's terrible. Well, they're terrible. I know. But their daughters come out of it. Well, Maggie has problems still, but Melee learns. Doesn't the rich father have a line about, like, now I realize family is more important than money? That is something that he says, but he still refuses to work. Like, that's why he refuses to work. He has a back problem. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, back problem from um, carrying his big sacks of rupees for so long. Cricking his neck, looking down at me, that motherfucker. I'll show you some fucking broken pots. Piece of garbage. Hate him so much. He's got a really good uh, scam going on where he makes pots that you extremely want to break, and then he demands money when you break them. Oh, that's probably how he got so rich. They're probably just, like, not even very good pots. They're just, like, baby pots. Yeah, those pots probably aren't worth 80 rupees. No. 80 rupees is a lot in this game. Boy, there's a lot of inflation between Wind Waker and Breath of the Wild. Well, it's a bigger economy. Do you think the way that the reversal of fortunes happens is fucked up, Crystal? I, I mean, no, it's fine. <laughs> I think it's totally fine. I mean, I do think Link should seize the means of production, but as it stands, it's okay. Well, I mean, Tetra already kind of did that in taking the means of bomb production and imparting the importance of those values upon the producer. Well, I mean, the thing is, there aren't any means of production. The economy comes from nowhere. (laughs) Well, it's a silly... Some people just are rich. Yeah. Do they like, oh, no, I've got it now. What they do is they pay flat wages to people so that they'll go out and dig up treasure, and they keep the treasure for, for themselves while paying a flat wage to whoever manages to get it. And the only way to keep your wage is if you keep bringing up treasure and taking it back to your boss. Pure cap. Then why don't they just keep the treasure? Because capitalism, Crystal, like that's actually the purest example of capitalism in this entire series that I can think of. The ships aren't theirs. Yeah, the ships aren't. the catching material. Yeah, none of it is theirs. It's all owned by the people who front the capital. This is very depressing. Why did you create this world? (laughs) Well, I don't know what to tell you. Anyway, everything bad that happens to the rich people, they absolutely deserve it. And that... I'm kind of bothered that the poor people are also scumbags, but their scumbaggery only comes out when they become rich. So it's fine. Eat the rich. I would plop down the fountain idol a lot of places because I liked everything looking very ostentatious. And then when I got the shop guru statue, of course I stuck those everywhere. It was very expensive, but money was meaningless in this game. I used the cheapest flower. Because you wanted the heart piece. Same. Yeah, I used the cheapest flower because money wasn't that meaningless to me because I didn't explore and redo things as much as you did. And uh, I did just want the harpies. 
Full completioning means getting all of the chests from all of the charts. Oh, God. Yeah, I forgot. I, I did pretty good in respect to that last time, but I still didn't know how much money I would actually need. So I just finished the whole game with way too much fucking money. Cheapest flower every time. No questions asked. Cheapest flower. Do you think the game would have been served better with alternate routes for the Triforce maps translation? I could see that working. Like if you had other methods to do What would you do? I don't know. Maybe you could take it to this other kind of uh, cartographer who is less agreeable to helping you but also isn't greedy. Like say you take them to Orca and you can only get them by getting like 100 hits on Orca. That would have been fine as an option. I I would have had you actually need to apply cartographical principles to translate them for free. Oh. And, yeah. Do you think the game would have been better served with those alternative options? Uh, probably, yeah. Speedrunners could probably do it real quicker. Yeah. They'd, they'd end up getting real good at cartography. Uh-huh. Which would be fine. <laughs> oh, God. This whole thing where we've got this lore about tingle being this master cartographer who's actually charging you a fair price for his services i like that i i feel like 398 rupees is pretty fair for a piece of the triforce (laughs) you're not wrong he is also like literally the only guy who can do it yeah you want to talk about controlling the means of production but it's the means of producing part of the engine of the gods so it's probably fine (laughs) Uh, we we do have one question in the mailbag at the moment, as applies to Wind Waker. And that is from Shakal Draconis. Uh, who wrote? Who read the last one? I think I did. Uh, Crystal, why don't you read this one? Okay. What do heart containers represent? Specifically, I'm thinking of the ones that you get after defeating bosses in the various games, usually appearing to come out of the boss's core. If gaining these increases the health of life force which Link has... Did Ganon have to similarly give up some of his own life force to create these bosses? And gathering these heart containers, does Link in some way bring part of Ganon, or whoever the big bad of that game is, into himself? This is very much related to a conversation we had last episode, or possibly the episode before. Yeah, I like the idea of Ganon putting some of his own life to create these monsters. But it's Ganon, so it'd be just like the little teeniest sliver. Yeah. But that's not true for all the games. He's got life to spare. That's not true for all the games, though, because a lot of the bosses throughout the games aren't actually made by Ganon. You've got, um, what is his name? Goda? The Bongo Bongo dude in Wind Waker. Oh, yeah. What's his name? Go Godon? Godon? Something like that. So he's made by the Sheikah or the gods. It's really the Fishmen. <laughs> the Fishmen. Yeah, he's made by the Fishmen. And uh, he still drops a heart container when you beat him. He's not even alive. Not even alive. But see, that's just the thing. I, I, I don't read the heart containers as being a literal thing. Even if they were a segment of Ganon's power, like Link taking it into himself, I don't think causes any sort of corruption or anything like that. It's like in Twilight Princess where it's like these evil pieces of whatever, of darkness, you know, and Link's fine. I don't think the question is meant to imply that. Oh, sorry. I was reading beyond that. Oh, well, I mean, like... So if heart containers aren't a real thing, what do they sell in the shops? Experience. Uh... Okay, you know how... Is it like a coupon for yoga lessons? (laughs) Okay, you know how in Saria Town, you'd find those nice ladies in red who would take you inside and heal you? Uh Same thing. Really? Uh, Sure. What? Wait. 
Why not? Wait, no, you're Cameron. thinking of the hearts, like the refillable Cameron. hearts. Yeah. So, like, you you purchase the Cameron, what are you saying? What do you mean? What am I saying? I'm saying that they provide the same services. Explain, elaborate. I'm saying that everywhere you can buy heart refills to refill your hearts is providing you the same service as those nice ladies in red. Cameron. What? Link is a child. What, what, wait, what are, you, what are you saying? You know what you're saying. What are you saying, though? I know what I'm saying. You're, you're saying you're buying a prostitute. No. First of all, I don't think Link is actually hiring a sex worker in Adventure of Link. That's a bit much. I don't think they're getting their bone down. I think those women are healers and the people like to go, it's sex work because people have the stigmatization of sex work and somehow talking about it in that way is still humorous. But I mean, like, no, I don't think it's, I don't think it's a sex work thing. I think they're just healers who wear red because that's the same color as hearts. No, but in some cases you can buy heart containers. Wait, can you? Or heart pieces. In this one you can. Wait, shit. Do they have a heart container in Ocarina of Time somewhere that you could buy? God, why do I feel like I, I think so? Why do I feel like I remember that? But at any rate, in Wind Waker, there definitely is. Where? Beetle. That bastard! So, what is he selling? He's selling you a textbook. <laughs> Pure experience points. Yes. Wait, no, shit! I don't know. Uh, it's very complicated. Crystallized time. Y- yeah, crystallized experience. No, I think hard containers are just a thing that exists in this world. And why would anyone ever sell them? Wouldn't you want more vivacity for yourself? Mm, you can buy that with money. <laughs> can you? Yeah, it's called healthcare. <laughs> Yikes. There are no doctors in Wind Waker. Except for Sturgeon, maybe. And he's not a very good one. His answer is fairies. Now, to be fair, fairies is terrific. Granted, but fairies aren't accessible to everyone. If you get sick, you're in trouble. Well, that's why you should have, like, you know, a government-sponsored fairy delivery system. Are potions medicine? Yes. Okay. I guess you got potion shops on one fall. Socialized fairy but, well, care. Fairies are not a resource you farmed. They are they are sentient beings who heal you of their own volition. Sure, yeah. But you can still ask them. They seem happy to help. Or you can stick them in a bottle and take them to your ailing grandma. But they don't seem to be that happy in the bottle. No, they're not. But they still heal your grandma. It'd be mean to do otherwise. Yeah. Get in there. It's a long tradition that Link has of shoving people and things into bottles. Oh my god. Yeah, but no, heart containers are just a thing that exists in this world. I can accept that answer uh, for now. But uh, I don't think that Ganon necessarily... Ganon does grant life to a lot of these things. Like, a lot of them are just manifestations of curses that he casts. So you could say that in some... On some level that Link is taking a certain element of Ganon's power into himself. Sure, that's absolutely true. If you want to read heart containers as being literal, I guess they're like the crystallized vitality that's left behind when life leaves. So whenever Link is killed, he will undoubtedly drop like 15 heart containers. Yeah, and when you cut grass, sometimes there's hearts in there. Kill a monster, sometimes there's hearts. Oh god, the game is so much easier to read if you have the whole thing as just being like figurative or metaphorical so much easier so why do how is that easier what 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 do you get from cutting grass crystal how dare you (laughs) well with breath of the wild link clearly the answer is nothing yeah crickets crickets sometimes rice wheat He, he gains no experience yeah that's true but there are no hearts to pick up at all in breath of the wild is that another aspect of demise's curse eating away at the fabric of the world or is breath of the wild just 
on the uh, hero mode timeline <laughs> where there are no hearts and you have to do all your healing through potions. Yeah, Breath of the Wild is very far in the future. Things have changed. On hero mode. So there are no hearts when you cut down uh, break pots or cut open grass. Or perhaps Link doesn't know how to extract them. Or how to eat that knowledge has been lost. I time. think he's already cut so much grass that he gains no benefit from it. Okay, so he's just like, they've gotten to the point of diminishing returns for experience where he keeps hitting it and it doesn't do anything appreciable for him. Right. Oh, oh my God. I did. I never imagined in a million years that this would be the subject where it makes me go, uh, 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 the most with regards to Zelda <laughs> physics. Is that the end of the questions? I think that's all I've got. Is that the end, Crystal? That is the end of our questions. Where can people send those questions? They can send them to Book of Mandora Podcast at gmail.com or on Twitter to at Arcane Crystal or at Cam Writer. Oh, man. It's Wind Waker episode. It's taken us a while to get to it, but I'm really glad that we got through that the way that we did. We should get back into playing Four Swords Adventure. Hopefully it'll stop doing the thing where it's disconnecting your Game Boy Advance. Yes. Because if it keeps doing that, we're going to have to do the unimaginable and just like watch cutscenes on YouTube. Could play it single player yeah it's been a, it's been a while since we've recorded a three-hour episode yeah you probably all all stiffened up after that recording you know what could loosen you up is a good joke yeah, yeah. oh no i only said yeah because you said yeah i got caught up in it this is peer pressure peer pressure from, yeah uh sometimes the tension makes the weight more savory it's true we've and, been <laughs> go ahead and not just sarcasm and yeah seriously though We've been watching Gravity Falls lately. That's a pretty good cartoon. We just got to the end of the first season, which is on the Google Play Store as season two, for whatever reason. Okay, okay, I got one. I got one. I got one. Yay. This is inspired by Blue Gunstar Hero on GameFox.com thread Your Best Zelda Joke, but I have altered it a bit. Okay. What did the Redead say when it walked into a bar? What? Uh. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Okay, yeah, it's fine. Shit. What did the original version of the joke say? A redead walked into a bar and said, Boy, it's not too lively in here. What? God damn it. Well, thank you for reading. Oh, I get it. Okay. <laughs> oh, great. Okay. I think that's. Tracy walked into a bar and said, Underwear. What? Who said this? This is by also by Blue Gunstar Hero. Tr- Tracy? Uh, Zant walks into a bar, orders a glass of Chateau Romani. Mr. Barton asks what brought him to Termina. Zant replied that someone told him that the few shadows had something to do with Majora's mask and that there were links between the ancient tribe that used the mask and the dark interlopers that were the ancestors of the Twilight. <laughs> Mr. Barton says that it seemed quite fascinating, but halfway through his drink, Zant decided to make his exit. Mr. Barton was confused and asked where he was headed. Zant replied, on second thought, I think I'll just go back to the Twilight Realm. Mr. Barton pleads with Zant, saying that he might be able to unlock some sort of connection between the two worlds. And Zant replies, well, does it matter? Ganondorf's just going to be the final boss anyway. What the fuck? (laughs) This episode is over. That had a good payoff. God damn. No, this episode's over. A good payoff. Bye, everybody. Bye. Ganondorf walked into a bar and said, ouch. Link walked into a bar and said, God damn it. (laughs) Stopping the recording.